Attention-seeking behavior. With Casey Costa. Da -da 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 -da. But yes, this is my man cave. Man cave. Well, not really. It's got, as you can see, we've got some of the kids' Legos and and, and your wife's sewing machine, or is that, or is that yours? No. Do you have a, do you have a, do you have a secret talent you're not telling me about kids? I do not have a secret talent. Are you in here just... <laughs> How do you think I make all my dresses? Um, <laughs> no, this is it, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. Is it what you would expect from, from me? As far as, like, you knew I was a sports I knew, fan. Yeah, I knew you were a sports fanatic, but you have a lot of you can say shit, podcast, of course. Shit, fuck, piss. You have a ton. What's with, the, what's with the Gatorade? Is that are those like so... collect, <laughs> collector Gatorade? <laughs> so oh, I yeah. got Michael Jordan Hall of Fame edition Gatorades. Never, never knew when, when did that ever come out? Um, five of six. You got the whole collection. I got the whole collection. Do you buy the whole collection I like did. as as one? I went searching for those <laughs> um, back in. I think he he was elected to the Hall of Fame. Um, in 2013, no, 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 uh, shorter than that, 2008, 2009, something like huh. that. Um, yeah, I, first ballot Hall of Famer, grew up watching him, had to do it, so, you know. What would, what would you do if you came down here and, like, one of your daughters was drinking your Gatorade? <laughs> Probably have to take it to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> if you look, if you pick it up and you look at the bottom, you can see. Is the mold starting to grow the, it? You can see all the sediment. Oh, not in that one, it's, like maybe in the other one. You can see all the... Oh, like, what yeah. the freak? You can see all the sugars and shit just, yeah, get into it. Jeez. So, yeah, yeah, no, this is, this is cool. Well, very awesome. Yeah, uh, lots of lots of stuff. But enough about me. Um, thanks for coming. Yes, to absolutely. The show. I'm, I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, we've known each other for two, two, three years now. Yeah, yeah, it'll be three years. Yeah, because... Yep. Um, what was, no, two years. Well, the first, yeah, well, the first time I met you was, was I went to that show at um, Total Drag. At Total Drag, yeah, you were doing, a, you were down there, and that would have been, yeah, that would have been about two years. And I invited you um, to that show. You did, yeah. You sent so, me, a, you sent, I think you sent me a message about it or whatever, and said I did because you were opening up Wackos at yep. that time, and you're about to get about to launch, and I'm like, I I need to fucking work with this guy. We are gonna get a legitimate comedy club. <laughs> how how the times have changed. No, I know. <laughs> what a, maybe, maybe the better news would have been you not to message me, and then. Then the club would still be going, or yeah, you know, no. I, 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 I have a feeling it might be me. Did you jinx the club from the beginning? The clubs, I jinx. Like I first moved here in 2007 to Sioux Falls in 2007, and um, I, I got a gig with Pepper Entertainment. The ones that are downtown. The ones that are downtown, yeah. yeah. And it was at uh, oh man, uh, where the old Nutties North used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was. I, I think it was at Nutty's. I think that's what it was called or something. And uh, I did a show with Sean Jordan. Okay. And Carrie White. Carrie White. Carrie White. He's a comic out of uh, out of one of the Carolinas. Okay. Uh, very very funny guy. And uh, uh, did a show with him. So I opened for Sean Jordan. Sean Jordan opened for another comic who I don't think is doing comedy anymore. Okay. And then uh, that comic opened up for Carrie White. So it was like a two-hour show. <laughs> it was a two-hour show. And, and I remember getting in. And I had been established for maybe about 
two years at that point. Into, into comedy? Into comedy. Okay. And uh, uh, shortly after that, Nutty's North was closed. <laughs> <laughs> so you just been, you, you're the one that's screwing up every comedy club that's ever tried to make it work here, huh? <laughs> Yes, uh, yes. So, uh, and then when you said you were opening, uh, I had to. I, I emailed you. Yep. Or Facebook. Yeah, I think you Facebook I, I messaged remember. me or something. Um, but I said, would love to be one of your comics uh, at the show. You were, or, you were, and you were actually the first one to. I think you were the first one to message me, because then after. I think Booblets was. No, it was yeah, Booblets. Yeah, yeah, that's so right. Booblets, uh, yeah, you put Booblets on that first show, and that and hey, that's all good and fine because I think we all did it. I like to think we all did a fantastic job. Oh, you guys, job. every one of you guys did a great job. So, you know, before we get into, like, your past and, and all of that stuff, because this, uh, the nice thing about attention-seeking behavior, it's all about you, Kellen. And, it's all. And so right now we're talking about me. <laughs> it doesn't matter, man. It's, it's still fun. We're talking about me because that's how I roll. Um, I want to know, uh, you know, when... I sent that message and you came to the show. What was, what was going on through your head? Because you were in the process of opening up that club. So that's a good question because I look back on it now and it's all just like one massive right. blur. Um, and actually, I had a show last night and me and Darcy were talking about it when we were going to... Uh, Who? No, Darcy. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Who? Who's this girl? <laughs> we were talking about we were going to uh, Watertown and we are like, God, it just feels like... Because it's been closed off for a year mm-hmm. and it was only open a year. So it's been two years from the day we started it until it is now. Um, but in terms of what I thought when you messaged me, um, I would actually like working with local comics. I, I guess sure. maybe that's where I'm going with that. Um, for me, it was a little like, I had a vision for what I wanted Wackos to be. And I knew I needed, I knew I needed to have the support of local comics to, to make it actually like get moving forward. Like I couldn't do it without having, um, the support of local comics in there. Uh, I was a little bit nervous because I never met any of you guys, and and you and, and I almost felt like the outsider because I'm not a stand-up comic. Right. I I'm, I I say I'm in the comedic profession, but I don't do stand-up comedy. So when you guys when you messaged me, and I remember actually I remember going to uh, I remember going to Total How Drag shitty are these guys and standing out be? standing outside there, and and I remember like Dan Bublitz like walking up the freaking sidewalk and like I'll bebop and this bald guy, and I'm like. What in the world did I get myself in? Then I see Nate Holtz come up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So these are the local guys. Like, but but you guys are all talking and having this conversation about stand-up comedy, and I'm just kind of like in the side of this circle, like, boy, I don't know anything about these guys or what's going on here. And I'm like, what am I going to do to win some type of, of approval here that these guys want to come in and uh, help with this adventure? But but. Obviously, you guys are stand-up comics, and you want stage time, so you're gonna you're gonna do what you can to, We're to gonna try to make it work. The piss out of you. I mean, I, th- I think that's how like most uh, all stand-up comics start off is just just badgering and hustling, and, and hustling. Like, I gotta get in. I gotta get. In. Can I get some stage time? Can I get? Some? I mean, I'm still doing that. You know, I, I don't do the, I don't do the stand-up comedy as much anymore. But uh, you know, hopefully, we'll get back into it. It's it's nice to take breaks. I'll say that. Yeah, you get you can get burned out. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, it, I'm not saying that my family or anything like that is a burden. Well, then you have a oh, family no, too. Absolutely it's not. like the, the the burnouts happen a lot quicker. Um, so it, it it's really funny to see that because I'm like I remember. Um, I remember that moment and going, all right, I've got to bring my A shit to a 15 minute, <laughs> you know, comedy showcase and I just got to bust it out. And I, was that, I can't remember who else was on. I think Timmy Williams was on that from the whitest kids, you know, 
Oh yeah, think, yeah, yeah. It was, was it was well the, at at Total Drag. At Total it was Drag. Sean Jordan. Was it the Sean Jordan? Yeah, show? it was the Sean Jordan show. Yep. Really? Okay. Yep. It was Sean, and then it was, it was and then Carl, and then Carl, Carl, Carl opened, and I think you featured that show, and then Sean Jordan That's headlined right, it because Jason, uh, Jason signed lined us up. Jason Weiss. Yep. 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 He lined it up. I remember that. Sean Jordan's coming in town, and yep, I'm like, oh, of course. So being able to reconnect there, and I just remember like I gotta just I gotta. I gotta, I gotta nail it. I gotta nail this, <laughs> and that was like terrifying because uh, you know I, it was that fear of oh shit we're local comics you know we we haven't been on the national scene you know some of us have you know like Nate Dan, yeah. and I have all featured for relatively well known comics yep. you know we've we've made a name for ourselves where you know it, it's easy for us to like go into a city and go. Oh, we could probably get some stage time. Yeah, definitely. You know, just based on the people that we know and we've worked with. And so now it was, oh, we're going to have one of those clubs here. And that was the terrifying thought. <laughs> so well, we'll we'll dive more into to Wackos because I, I want to get some more of your thoughts on, on oh, the whole. You know what? Yeah. You know what, Casey? I was, so it was, <laughs> it's funny because Darcy and I were, so we, so we had this show, not to get off like on the topic, but I had this <laughs> show in Watertown for the Camp Pesca like barbecue thing, which is never yeah. ever been there. It's freaking amazing. Right. Like you could just sample like fifty different barbecues and then vote on who had the best one. But it was cool. But anyways, after it, they had uh, Snake Oil, the band, playing. So we stayed there for a little bit, and then uh, and then I don't we think had... I've ever heard of Snake Oil. Really? Yeah. So they they're like uh, they play a lot of eighties music. <laughs> okay. But they but and they're great. But they do like close swaps. So like they never stop playing. So they have like multiple band members and never stop playing. And you'll see them going to the tent, and one will come back dressed like Kiss. And then like they'll go back in the tent. It's like it's it was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. But okay. apparently they're they're fairly decent. Like do a lot of like casinos, but they're from Canada. So they oh, drove down here from eh? Canada. Yeah, eh? <laughs> but uh, we're gonna sing Detroit Rock City, eh? Okay. <laughs> they were playing some Ozzy and oh, it was good. But anyway, so we stayed till about nine thirty. Going then... off on the rails of a crazy train. <laughs> but then uh, so then we want to leave, and so we get in the car, and I I had, had two beers, right? Oh yeah. No, let me. You're, you're no, in a bag. no. This is this is where the whole story goes. So, yeah. so I was not even like wasn't even like buzzed or whatever. But I started talking to Darcy, and I was like, God, you know what would be a really freaking interesting podcast someday to do is to do like a special on like the the comedy scene in Sioux Falls of, of how I how I seen the comedy scene right. versus how local comics saw the comedy scene for like the eyes of a, episode. I know. Well, the whole point is to make it one episode, just oh, like right. just, just one, just one controversial episode where I tell what I experienced that may go right. against what the local comics see, right, because I'm right. seeing it from the backside right. of, of running a club. Um, but we're having this conversation and I'm either, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't doing anything. And, uh, I must've like moved lanes like slightly. And there was a state patrol guy behind me, and he pulled me over. Oh and no! And so, like, I, 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 I like whip into like this dirt, like gravel area, and he comes up, and he's like, he's like, "What are you guys doing in here?" And I'm like, "Oh, nothing." He goes, "Well, I saw that you kind of swerved through the lanes or whatever," and I was like, "Oh, okay." And then he's like, "Why don't you come back to the car and talk to me?" And Darcy's sitting in the car, like laughing. So I like, <laughs> so I go back and sit in this guy's car, and I'm thinking, man, there's no way, there's no way I would freaking blow on this, like. And he was real nice. He's like, before I even got in his car, he's like, oh, I'll just give you a warning. Not a big deal. I'll just come back to the car or whatever. So I get in the car, and he's like, we're like BSing, and he's typing it in. And then oh he's like, God, well, I'm going to need you to take a breathalyzer before I send you on your way. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like. I'm going to give you a warning. He's but like, I'm still I know. And he's like, well, how, like, how long ago did you have your drinks? And I said, probably like 
20 minutes. Not even, man. Like maybe <laughs> oh, probably about a half hour by the time we had we had walked out and everything. And he was like, ah, oh, if you only had a couple drinks, you'd be fine. So so he gives you the breathalyzer. That's, uh, that's actually all state troopers in South Dakota. He, he knows everybody's drinking all the time. Exactly. Like, you've only had a couple. You're fine. You're, you're good. We, we experienced this. <laughs> so, so he gives you this breathalyzer. And then after so everything's done and said, he's like, he looks at it. He's like, ah, oh, you're fine. And then he's like, oh, by the way, are you a guard soldier? And I was like... How did you know? And he was like, like looking at his name badge. Like, do I know this clown? And uh, he was like, no, I just saw like your, you had your uniform in the back of your car. Like I had some stuff in a box. I was like, no, I'm in the, and then a guard as well. And he goes, oh yeah, I used to be in the guard. He's like, I used to be in the, the 235th engineers. He's like, where you are or whatever. So we're sitting in this car after this breathalyzer for like 10 minutes having a conversation <laughs> about the National Guard. Darcy's in the back taking, I, can't, I couldn't see her, but she showed it after the fact. She's Snapchatting. Like, the stuff behind me with the lights as I'm sitting in a car. So, everything was, like, all serious business. And then we're just BSing about the guard. And then, like, and then he's, like, all of a sudden he's just, like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I got a jet. I was, like, oh, okay. So, you had a car with this warning and I, like, go back to my car and he just takes off. This breathalyzer warning. You know, I've only only had to breathe in a breathalyzer once and I asked for it. Sure. And I knew I was drunk. Just just to see where you would be at. Just a game. Uh, I knew I was. It's my my brother in law and I were at uh, at one of the bars here, and we we just got tanked. <laughs> we were just getting tanked, and we had a friend. We we drove up to the um, drove up to the gas station. We had a friend drive us there, and um, my buddy and I, or well, my brother in law and I, walked into the gas station to just grab some water. And I like I knew I was gone. I knew I was done, and so I needed to grab some water. But the attendants were like all pissy. Uh, because they're like these drunk people, so they called the cops on. They called the cops. They on called you? the cops, and my brother-in-law's friend was the one driving the car, who was the sober cat for the night. Yeah, and so the cop comes, and like we're sitting in the car, and he's like, "You guys can't leave." We're like, "He's sober. He hasn't had a drink." I'm like, "I know. I'm drunk." <laughs> <laughs> and so he's giving he's giving you know the sober guy a, uh, the sober driver a breathalyzer test. Yeah, and then he gives my brother-in-law a breathalyzer test. And we're, if he gets one, I get one. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I knew I was just gone. I don't even remember the numbers, but he's like, yeah, no, you two shouldn't be driving. We're like, we haven't been. <laughs> like, this guy right here. Like, he, oh man, he like came out and like stopped the car. He got in front of it. He got behind it. So like he would, we would run him over. You know, if we were to back up, but uh, we're like, what the fuck? Like nobody's driving. Yeah, like what? he's not been drinking. You know, oh, like I, I even, I even threw up in that restroom, but I cleaned it up. Yeah, you, you know? threw up. In I the threw, restroom. Oh, I was so. Go- ah, I mean, ah. Kellen, I was, I, I mean, I was having to hold myself up, like on the toilet paper roll. <laughs> so, so it was like drunk version of cleaning, it where was, you were just it was, like, but I was uh, taking toilet paper and I was, I didn't get any it. on the floor. I got it like on the toilet seat and stuff. So I was cleaning it up. I mean, I was a gentleman about it. I'm like, no, you can't tell that happened here. I drank. I'm gonna <laughs> clean it up. But yes, yeah, so, so I, I had that was my breathalyzer moment. Oh, that's but, funny. I, so you, you, you're in the guard. I am. Yes, I am so, in the guard. I always thought it was the army. It is the army. It is the army. Yes, we the still army says U.S. National, army. Army National Guard. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. So you're going to have to talk in Call of Duty lingo <laughs> for my <laughs> listeners. <laughs> no, so uh, how did you how did you get into the army? I mean, were you um, were you raised in a military family? I will like my uh my uncle was in the Navy during Vietnam. My grandpa was a World War II vet, 
But none of that really sparked me to join the military. I am the poster child for the guy that falls for the sales pitch. So I was. You don't seem like an individual who'd be in the military. I mean, we're we're having a pretty relaxed, chill conversation. You're, I mean, you're leaning down. You're hunched over. You're not. You're not all straight up. Uh, I I was about to break into some Paula Duel right there. But I always was curious about this because I don't think we've ever had that moment to just sit down and talk. No, you were my no, boss absolutely. for a while, and uh, technically I, you were mine because you were HR. That's right, I was your HR. That's right, I was your boss. This, this is actually the exit uh, interview. This is the, <laughs> we're gonna have your annual review. That's a year, funny. The almost exit a year, interview. Almost a year after it closed. So, Kellen, here's what I'm gonna have to say. Um, no, but so I'm I'm very curious at that because you don't seem like a military person at all. You're very laid back. I, I mean, and I'm I'm not trying to offend anybody who is no, in the military. No, no, absolutely. It's just, you know the the personalities that I run into, they're very stern to the point, and you're relaxed. And you opened up a, a, a comedy club, all about which humor. Is, yeah, yeah, which is really cool. So, what you fell for the sales? Pitch. Yeah, so I was in I high school. I did twenty push-ups together. <laughs> I was I was in high school. I was 17 at the time, and I was walking down the ha- like the hallway, and I saw this poster on the wall. It had this cool army guy climbing a cargo or climbing a cargo net, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." Oh, cool! They got obstacles. I know. And then I was like, "says Join the Army National Guard, free college tuition." And I was like, "Dang, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this." So then they called like the the guidance counselor, or whatever, went down to her office and was like, "Hey, can you bring a National Guard recruiter here? I want to talk to him." So she brings the National Guard. <laughs> Freaking calls the National Guard recruiter from New, from New Richmond, Wisconsin. Calls this guy in, and uh, he sits down and talks with me. And like in days, I was in the military. Like there was no like, oh, I want like initially it was like, oh, and I love my country. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like some people like I'm joining right now because I love my country and, right. and all of this stuff. It was it was none of that. And then uh, I got in. I got in in 2000. Um, and How old are you? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know, right? It makes it does make you seem aged, but I was 17 when I joined. Because so unlike the army, if you join the National Guard, you can join at 17, and then you go to like basic training between your junior and senior year, mm-hmm. and which is weird because you're actually going with active duty guys as well who are like 18, 19, and 20, and you're this 17 year old kid. Right. So you all go to basic training to the same place, and then uh, when I graduated high school, then you go back and you do your job training, which mm-hmm. mine was just because I'm dumb. It was an 11 Bravo or an infantry guy. I don't know what that means. It means it means uh, <laughs> we call it, we call ourselves ground I remember pounders. Call of Duty. I mean, I said it was for the listeners, but well, it's really we're, we're literally the guys on Call of Duty. Okay, that's that's right, what we do. Cool. We right. we do the raids, and if you look back in World War II, where they were in trenches, like mm-hmm. that was that was my job. Cool. Yeah, and you're still involved. I am. I have two years left till I hit twenty years, and then I can retire. Jeez, that's. I know. I mean, hey, thank you. For no, serving. you're mean, absolutely I welcome. Appreciate it. It went, it went fast, and it's had its ups and downs. And I had a had a couple deployments. I went to Iraq in 2000. Well, it was at the end of 2004 through 2005, and then uh, then tell I got, me about that. Like, what do you want to know about what, it? What was I mean, what was the experience like in in Iraq? You know, I would have loved. When I was there, it was a little bit different. I would have loved to have gone back again, like in the 2009, 2010, because mm-hmm. everything shifted. But when I was there, man, it was like the wild, wild west. Get like, out. well, like, like everyone's always Sullivan like, Smith? no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's like, was it always, is it always combat? Were you always fighting? Yeah. I've, I've experienced combat when I was there and I got hit by a roadside bomb or an IED as we call them. Um, that went off like on the side of my vehicle. Your face looks fine. I know everything looks fine. You should look <laughs> under my pants. No. Um, and it, and so I was experienced some stuff. I've had an RPG shot by my freaking or not by, but over my head and stuff like that. But, uh, 
but it was always like those things only last they feel like they last forever but those little tips or engagements they last like a minute to two minutes and then they're done because they just come out shoot at you and run back and hide so um but then the rest of it is just sitting around doing absolutely nothing until something happens like you go out on patrols obviously daily but stuff hardly ever happens and you look for you kind of look forward to the moments that it does happen because like oh here's two minutes of excitement and then <laughs> and then it's and then it's freaking dumb because when you're there and I, that two minutes feels like hours hours yeah right? it does and it just and then when you're in it it's 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 almost an adrenaline feeling after it's done because you're like oh my gosh that totally just happened right. like like people running all over it's like, like jerking ditches and me. yeah and, yeah <laughs> that, that, that euphoric feeling when you're done like Oh. <laughs> wow but but yeah but when i say it was like the wild wild west it was because there was no what we call rules of engagement that the military creates that says you cannot do this you can shoot it when this happens you can do this mm-hmm. but there was there was rules of engagement but they were so loose like I, like we would drive down the roads and like we owned the roads so like we would drive right down the center of the road and if cars didn't get out of your way you'd freaking ram them out of the way like because if you got too close Holy to the cow. shoulders that's where the ieds are buried so right, you try right. to get as far away from both sides of the shoulders of the road where they can dig um to bury them to get away but yeah i mean and there was just we just fucked around all the time like we take like flares that you'd like shoot up into the air and we'd shoot them at each other like in the truck in front <laughs> like of you like Roman candles. yeah like the gunner would be up in front of you and you'd be like <laughs> and you'd see the flare like go by but you do these stupid things and you never think about like my god like i look back on it now yeah. and i'm like what a bunch of idiots they would have killed each other <laughs> fucking around ourselves like yeah it just you just do dumb stuff but it was uh, it had its good moments, it had its bad moments, uh-huh. obviously like war does, but but overall it was a huge like it was a huge significant part of my life that I think uh, that has led me to do what I do today. Mm-hmm. It was specifically because of that. So, um, but yeah. So, it was a very interesting I, experience. I mean, being stateside the entire time and and not having that experience how how long were you were there for two years you said so so i was deployed for 18 months exactly so when we deployed out of wisconsin we went down to camp shelby mississippi and we were there for six months before because we're guard like so we haven't deployed guard in a long time Mm -hmm. let's figure out what we're going to do to train these guys up so they can go overseas and then uh and then about november of 04 we left the United States and went over there, and we were there for 12 months exactly. Okay. So we were actually one of the longest National Guard units deployed over the whole span because it was 18 months. And now they don't want you to be deployed longer than 12 months. That includes train up and being overseas. So usually overseas for nine months, but ours was like a year and a half, which, which is a, takes its toll when you are young because you're missing. Like I was, I was 20 and I came back 22. I was almost 21, but you're starting um, to get into the prime of your, yeah. Like, like your everyone's age. in colleges and you're trying to develop right. as a human being. And, and I got promoted to an E5 or what would be a Sergeant, like mm-hmm. your young Sergeant. I got promoted to that. So that's I, a call of duty term. I that's call of duty that. term. You recognize, recognize Sergeant. <laughs> and you had, so I, I was a team leader. So I had three guys that I was responsible for at the age of 20. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I'm just new into the army at 20 years old at 20 and, years old. And, yeah. So, I mean, they talk about these development pieces, yep. you know, when you're getting into the military, and, and that's it. It's, you're really pushed into it at a very young age. You you need to be mature. You do. I mean, you, you need do. to grow up quick. Yep. But, but you didn't get the experience of, you know, going out and 
getting tanked at a frat party. I never. I, you know what? And, <laughs> so, I, and, I, and I look back at it now and I go, was I ready to be a, a 20-year-old E5 leading soldiers in a combat zone? At that time, I had no experience. I didn't have life experience. Right. Like, I look back at it now and I'm like, my gosh, the experience I have now, freaking 14 years later from that war, and I'm like... I don't understand how I had no leadership experience. I have right. basic training, AIT, and a year, two years later, or whatever, boom, off to war. That's off almost to looked war. at better than, you know, going in for a management job. It can Leadership yeah. experience, you know, selling shoes. <laughs> and you learn quick, though. Man, you learn fast, like, what's important. But And you don't think about, you never thought about, like, what's going what's going on back home? What am I missing at this point? Like, all my friends are doing this or that, and mm-hmm. I'm going to come back. And you never thought about that I'm going to, excuse me, that I'm going to come back. And most of my friends will be like juniors in college, right. and I haven't even started. Right. Like so, it's just one of those things that was just you didn't think about when you were there, but when you came home, you you couldn't relate to like friends that you had prior. Like, how do you talk to people that are in a whole different phase of their life now, and you're almost two years behind where they are in their life? And but are you really two years behind? At the, at, the, at that age, you feel like it. Okay. Well, in the scheme of things, now you look at an eighteen month period at our age, it's like oh. It's nothing, right? But but that's a very I think that's a very significant developmental period in one's life where you're just you're getting out on your feet, you're learning to be on your own, you're learning to get your education, to start looking for jobs and careers, and, and you're doing a lot of stuff. And I think not that it makes you really I guess fall behind, but it like stops a, it stopped that period because it didn't matter. You couldn't go back and get that time back. Mm-hmm. So so now you're 22, you're back in the state side. Your friends have I mean most people are graduating college, and you're sitting in your mind going. God, I'm so far behind. Now I feel like I have to, I have to catch up. Like I have to make up that time that I lost, and that's where, that's where I ended up having a lot of issues because I, I really struggled to try to make up those years, mm-hmm. and it was, and you never could. And at the time, I just could never grasp my mind that Kellen, you can't make those years up. All you can do is start living your life now and, and going forward. But I how think, long did it take for you to realize? That? Oh, God, dude, probably. Probably till about 2006, 2000, so about three years probably when I got back. Two years after you got yeah, back. Yeah, to really, yeah. I think wow. some of that was maturity. Like I think mm-hmm. as, you, as you mature, you start you start understanding that, you know, I can't make that time up. I got to start living life for what I have in front of me now. And at that age, you feel like, man, my life is just gone. Like you're young. You don't understand the concept of time and age at really at that point. Is that something that you think that um, attributes to... Uh, PTSD is that the coming back and feeling like you're so left behind where you you are finding yourself I'm it, it, correct me if I'm wrong if I'm saying this incorrectly sure. but depressed yeah absolutely I think it the, the PTSD itself is going to come from from the experiences that you experience there like the trauma okay. but it can definitely be multiplied or heightened yeah. or heightened yeah. by coming back and then having that same feeling of like, man, now I have these problems and I can't sleep because of the war itself. Uh-huh. And now I'm back here and nobody understands me and I've already lost my friends because I've been over there so long and I feel like I'm behind in life. And it does. I think it. I think it really makes, um, increases the like the depression, the anxiety you typically would have when you would just come back with the PTSD. And I think that more so than the PTSD, I really do think it's the it's the feeling of loneliness mm-hmm. of like I don't belong to anybody, I don't belong anywhere. Like mm-hmm. I go to college, you could go to college then at twenty two, but everybody's freaking eighteen then, and right. you're like, man, now I'm the old I'm the old bastard in right. this college, and I don't feel like I belong here. Or you can go into the workforce, but you don't have a lot of experience yet because you just got back from a war, so you don't belong there. And then you oh well maybe I'll just hang out with my friends. Well, you don't belong there because they're all talking about stuff. That's our. That's happened while you were gone, and yeah. so you and never starting their career. Exactly, and, you never wow. know. You never know where you, where you belong, and it's a very lonely ex, like experience to be in. So I mean, that, it's really 
it's really deep. Honestly. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> philosophical. It's, it's very <laughs> philosophical, and and that's ex- that's exactly the conversations I, I want to have on here. Um, so you're you're coming back and you're starting to experience this, and you you're you're feeling like you're behind. You haven't yep. got to that point where you're like. What well, fuck this? You know, I'm like I'm I'm ahead of you guys. Yep. Uh, what 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 did you do? I mean, what were you doing to to cope or to get over that? I mean, because you're still here. And, yeah, you yeah. Know, we see a lot of you know we see a lot of those reports where it, it doesn't turn out. No, the way that, ends in suicide. You, it does. That's and a huge problem. It, it, you know, for somebody who has been depressed themselves, not necessarily from war, but just somebody who's been depressed, you know, what what did you do when you came back and you realized that you were, or you felt that you were behind or whatever? I just, I shut off. So I went and got help. Um, I went to the VA hospital. And being a guard soldier, which creates another problem with the VA hospital, is that they're like, well, you guys have all these civilian practitioners that you can go to. We want to reserve this for active duty guys. Well, and you, you it really makes you mad because you're like, dude, I served right next to these 101st Airborne guys. Right, like, right. we patrolled right next to them. Like, we did the same stuff they did, but yet we come back, they get the help, and we don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we weren't... That could a, be frustrating. Oh, it was horrible. So we weren't a priority to the VA hospital. So they still had to treat us, but we were always second to active duty. So if active duty wanted an appointment, they got it before we did. So I remember I got one appointment and the, the VA, like the doctors themselves were pretty good. They knew like, oh, these are guard soldiers. We can't, uh, we're not gonna be able to see them regularly. So they did what, what they felt was right and they just gave you a bunch of medica- medicine, medication. This time I was on six different medications um, from depression to anxiety mm-hmm. um, to, not, to help you sleep at night. Like it was insane and I just felt like a zombie. Like I was, it was horrible. And, uh, I wanted, I just didn't want to be on the medication anymore. So when you talk about the the suicide aspect of it, um, I really was like, if I don't get off this medication, I'm going to kill myself because I will not live the rest of my life like just being a complete zombie. Like you cannot function when you're that doped up on that medicine. Like it's insane. Um, so I got, I waited like four months, I think, after my first appointment to get back into the VA hospital. So I got in there and I told the doctor flat out, I said. I need to get off this medication. We need to figure something out or I'm not going to be here to have another appointment. Right. And the, and bless his doctor's heart because he knew um, he knew what was really going to happen. And he knew that if I take this guy off the medication, he's probably going to kill himself. If I leave him on the medication, he's going to kill himself. So how do I fight this? So he, he said something to me, and this is what really changed my life and got me into the whole hypnosis thing, is he was like, are you open? Transitions. Yeah, transitions. <laughs> he's like... He's like, are you open to trying something different? And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I have a, I have a um, psychologist in Minneapolis who is really, really good with hypnosis. And he said, would you be willing to go to her and see if maybe she can at least help you with the sleeping and help you with yeah. the anxiety um, and that kind of stuff? And I was like, you know what? If it gets me off this medication, I'm okay with it. Well, the doctor said, you need to stay on the medication and I will, I will facilitate with the psychologist and we'll figure out what we need to do to start weaning you off the medication. So I went to her. And within the first session, I literally felt a hundred times better. Really? Like, like you, I still had issues, but I was able to finally sleep and I felt more calm and, and I didn't feel so angry at the world and stuff like that. And I saw her for six. For I six could not months. imagine you going through that goth phase, Kellen. It wasn't <laughs> a goth, I would call it a goth phase, but just being dep- <laughs> like depressed and kind of absorbed inside yourself. Um, but I went, so I went there for six sessions total. By the end of it, 
I was not on any medication again. That's like it cool. was it was done. Like I was sleeping, I didn't have nightmares. Um, I felt like I had a clear mind. Uh-huh. And that sometimes that's what the problem is, is you just need to get a clear mind so you are able to figure out what you're gonna do now is your next step. But if you have so much fog in your mind, it's very difficult to mm-hmm. uh, to see through it. And and you just that's where you feel that loss and that emptiness feeling. But when she was able to get that fog out of the way and kind of clear it up using hypnotherapy, it really like changed my life. So um so going on a whole transition thing, I was literally driving off, you know, if you know Minneapolis very well, but I was driving on 494, the interstate, and I was both, it was literally right before the interchange of 94 and 494, and I'm just contemplating my mind, finally, like it was done, I wasn't on this medication, I'm going, what am I going to do now with my life? Like, like where am I going to take this from this point forward? Um, and I was like, then it just like dawned on me, and I was like, man, somebody gave me my life back using a really, really cool um, modality of healing, and I was like, I want to learn this. So I went and I, I went to school, I learned hypnotherapy, and then eventually just transitioned into the, the whole comedy part of it. But so as, as I'm flabbergasted just by that, that whole thing. I, I think that's really cool. It, like some people say, oh, com-, like, like, oh, I just chose to do stand-up comedy or I chose to be a comedy hypnotist or I chose to do this. But really for my situation, it found me. Right. Like, and, and, it, and, it, and I went from a horrible, horrible situation to, to where I am today all because of that horrible situation. Like, it literally led me to a career that I absolutely love. I mean, that, that it's is. weird, but... <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had something to, to combat that with, but I don't, because it, 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 that's really cool. And, um, you know, I, I've been to therapy before, Absolutely. Too. I don't think I've ever walked out going, shit, I need to... Epiphany! <laughs> <laughs> I've had epiphanies before, but yeah. like the epiphany was like you need to break up with your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was on a plane to Chicago, and I'm like, I remember just sitting there, quiet, just watching a movie on the on the screen, and going, I don't want to be with that person. <laughs> <laughs> and then it took me uh, two times cheating on her to get to figure it out, <laughs> to actually pull the trigger. <laughs> It's a horrible thing. I, I like my. I know I'm gonna have family listening to this, so I'm so sorry. No, he's not. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I, 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 wish I could say I've experienced that. So I mean, that's where a lot of my questions are gonna come from. So, you're. Let's let's go back to the army. Okay. Before we yeah, go back absolutely. to the the hypnotherapy uh, piece of it. Uh, you well let's after the hypnotherapy you're back and then and that's probably when you start realizing you're actually ahead of the game yes absolutely right yeah yeah i guess i never really looked at it like that but yeah at that point yeah right it would be so now are you now the way that you're interacting with your friends is it or friends family whomever sure is it better is it worse did you lose relationships during that so i never i never rekindled i guess relationships with the friends i had prior to that and part and part and part of it is that you just you don't have as much in common anymore and that's just you go through that people say people say you change friends every five years like you get a new different group of friends because you some get married some don't well now you lose that ability to really relate nice knowing you in three yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah we are we're going yeah we got about in three more years three years one month and seven minutes (laughs) right our friendship will be terminated over um yeah, so so no, I didn't. One relationship that never, this is weird to say on your podcast, but one relationship I never have. We can fixed. bleep it out. We can. No, no, no. I, I don't. Edit. I don't give a crap if it's on there. We well, don't edit. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to edit. The uh, the one relationship I never, I never 
replaced or fixed was with my own family. Oh, they sponsored this episode. (laughs) 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 Kellen, this is an intervention podcast style. Uh, Bring in the bring in the Marsons. (laughs) Oh, how weird would that be? Oh man, that would be so bad. I think our friendship just terminated. (laughs) (laughs) New phase of life. Kellen's depressed again. No. No. (laughs) All joking aside, so so I I had an okay relationship up Mm -hmm. until about two thousand nine. Um and in 2009, I took I was doing hypnotherapy for a while, and I got a little bit burned out from seeing clients because I hadn't quite like transitioned completely into wanting to do entertainment yet. Um, so I got married, had a kid, um, moved to New Mexico, worked for the Department of the Army for a while down there. New Mexico. This is where Las Cruces, New Mexico. Hold on, but this is uh, what's this... the name of that street? Owen Rhodes. Owen Rhodes. This is where, this is this is where I got in my porn career. <laughs> we'll get into no. Owen Rhodes. Here. We'll get into Owen Rhodes in a minute. Owen Rhodes is one of the best stories I think I've ever heard. This is this is gonna boost your listening rating like tenfold, especially when you put in there like I talked to Kellen Marson, past porn star. (laughs) Past porn star, that'll be the title of this. My tiny, my tiny little porn career that lasted all but three minutes. Alright, so you're so we're gonna jump from everything now. Um, so you're in New Mexico, you're married, you got a kid. Yep. Okay. And then and now continue on with that. So I so I had a kid, um, to speed the story up, um, I ended up getting a divorce, mm-hmm. um, having some custody fighting with my son, and during that time, I always had a rocky relationship with my family, so I can't put it all on that. I've always yep. been one that that I'm gonna do what I want to do, right. and yeah. I don't give it, yeah. I don't give a shit what you tell me to do, kind of mentality, and it always created friction. Like my my, I have three very successful sisters, so I have one that's uh, got her master's in social work, mm-hmm. one that's a nurse, and then another's got her a second one that just got her master's in social work. She was she went to psychology and then got in social work so i have three very successful sisters um and then there's me the You're uh, successful the, the, the hypnotist but anyways at the time my my parents always were like man kelly you need to get your shit together you need to figure out what you're gonna yeah. do with your life like you can't just you can't just mope around like this or whatever so the friction was always tense with my mm-hmm. with my family and then when everything went with the divorce and my son my parents took her side oh wow and that would that pretty much 2009 would be the last time that I talked to my mom, my dad, or any of my three sisters. Holy cow! So it's been about nine, nine years, years, almost ten years since my the goodness. last time I talked to my family. Um, I did not think that this is where we were going. <laughs> did we just depress I mean, the podcast? I, I saw. I look. I saw a movie that took a hard left turn last night. This took a hard left turn today. I don't know if I can take any more twists. But you know what? My life. There's a positive mm-hmm. thing because my life has been better right. since I had them not in this, and mm-hmm. and the uh, and the the because the whole kicker of the thing is is that they took her side, but at the end of the day, she ended up doing some convict doing some really not serious crimes, but they were some serious financial crimes with yeah, fraud yeah, and yeah, writing yeah. bad checks and stuff like that, and ended up spending some time in jail. And so I tried to tell my parents, I'm, yeah, I had my own fault in this, like in the divorce early on, but they never wanted to hear that. I said, it's not entirely my fault. There's takes two people to right, have yeah. this issue. No, and they're like, no, it's all your fault, Kelly. It's all your fault. I'm like, whatever, whatever you think. And then, so it gives me some gratification, like nine years later when they find out yeah. that all of this happened to her, that, oh, maybe Kellen wasn't the one that was always the problem in the situation. I, so you're, that's absolutely right. And you know, uh, you've met my wife. We've yeah, been, we've been married for ten years now. Absolutely. And, uh, we went to couples therapy, and uh, we discovered that it wasn't. I, I always put it on me. 
I mm-hmm. always put it. I'm. Uh, I am the first person that I blame for everything. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and that's just how I beat myself up. But it, it took a lot of counseling for us to realize that we both played parts into our disconnect. Yep. And we're much, much stronger now because of it. And it, it to have it. it I'm at a loss for words because you know I I I I've got a lot of empathy for you sure. right now. It's that that's got to be tough not having that relationship with your family. Absolutely. Because I know that when when I was going through my troubles, my family helped out immensely. You had they, you had that ability someone to you could right. lean on but with they, it. The thing is, is that they didn't take either side. They didn't take either side. They were always there to say, hey, you know, it would. Both of you did something. And it should be that way. And and it was very, very um, relieving in a sense. And so, I mean, I could see if somebody was, if they were taking, you know, Abby's side, I could see me going, you know what? Fuck you guys. Yeah. You know, I'm like, here I am trying to bust my balls and trying to fix it. And I'm going to get that thrown back at me. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. It, no, it was uh, well. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was. It's just the whole situation was weird. Um, and I would love, I would love to have a relationship back with my family someday, and and I probably will. Like, yeah. like it just, it just takes that that time. And I think as as it's a horrible thing to say, but I think as you get older, not so much my age, but their age, yeah, they start. To death. Yeah, they yeah, <laughs> as they get closer to dying. Not they're they're in their probably sixties now, but it's not like they're. Um, that they're going to die tomorrow, but stuff can happen. Right. And I think as you get to that age, you know, your health, you could get cancer, you could have something come up. And mm-hmm. I think you start questioning, like, yeah. what did I, what was my fault in this whole thing that maybe they're wondering, did I do it? Did I approach this the wrong way? Oh, yeah. You're right. The right way to approach it would have been, I'm not taking anybody's side. Right. This is your relationship to figure out, but you are also our son. Mm-hmm. And if there's something you need, we're going to be there to help you. I have that kind of relationship with my sister. Sure. In the moment, you know, at, we will text each other, but it'll be like short sentences. Yeah, it's we we don't get along. We we don't have the same beliefs, and you know it's tough because I love my sister. I do, and I it, I don't think she'll ever listen to this. To tell you the truth, <laughs> <laughs> so give me your email. She's got my confession <laughs> on podcasts. Um, <laughs> I don't think she'll listen to this, um, but you know. I just think there's always going to be that disconnect between myself and my sister. And like at, at the at the moment, I don't want to like sit in a room with her. Yeah. Because I know where it's going to go. Because I'm a person who doesn't take things seriously. Sure. You know me, Kelly. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> you know? And my, my sister is very, very serious, you know. And she's very devout to her religion. And I'm just like, there's God, you know. <laughs> and um, so I... I hear what you're saying is that I hope that we can connect and I have those same hopes. Absolutely. I have those same hopes that we can reconnect and that, um, you know, that she would allow me to hang out with my nieces and nephews, you know, Absolutely. I, I, look, I get, I curse and all those, fun <laughs> things. Uh, every other word out of my mouth is apparently fuck, but I think that's the first time we said it or maybe the second time, third, fourth, fourth, maybe. fuck, fourth, <laughs> fuck, 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 <laughs> You know, but uh, it, it's uh, I I hope nothing but the best for her and her family. And and you, you should. Know, and, yeah, well, course, and I think right? it's tough to say that. Oh, do you love? Of course, I love my parents. Like mm-hmm. without them, I wouldn't be here today. And I love my sisters. Who? But, no, I'm just yeah. <laughs> who, who, my parents. What were my parents' names? <laughs> um, yeah, but wow. Yeah, it's a it's a I have a I have a fucked up life, man. <laughs> 
Like, there are so many. You talk about left and right turns, man. I'm just, like, freaking on death freaking highway I, right I now. Moved, I moved every year uh, of my life until I was, like, 13. My no parents, shit. My parents were divorced. My okay. My parents were divorced. I, I, to this day, I don't know exactly the reason. There's, like, several different stories. It's like the Joker in the Dark Knight. He keeps telling a different story about yep. the scars on his face. That's what I got. I'm like, whatever at this point, <laughs> you know. But my parents were divorced, and so we moved every year for almost 13 years of my life <laughs> wow to the point where like different like, schools and different everything? schools and oh. everything sometimes even going back to the same school like two three years later and then wow. going hey what's up robert and robert's like <laughs> captain of the football <laughs> team he's like get out of my face nerd <laughs> <laughs> wow that's, that's insane do you remember comic books and he's like what the fuck's comic books i'm getting pussy you know <laughs> <laughs> at 13 man <laughs> but no uh so i'm you know, I, I get that my childhood was was also rough. It's, I've had several things. I lived in Arkansas for a while. And, Holy you know, crap! When you when you and you're not even black. I <laughs> can I say that? I well, you just did. Um, <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> can I say that? Go we'll edit it. I'm sorry. We'll edit it out. There'll just be a, um, a the blacks actually block. sponsored this episode. <laughs> all, all the blacks. Better than the KKK. Uh, no. <laughs> this is true. We don't do any. We have no affiliation for them whatsoever. Um, but so I lived in Arkansas for a while too, and it's moving back up north and like in urban cities, sure. and things like that, like Chicago and Minneapolis. And you're like, yeah, I lived in Conway, Arkansas. Conway. And they were like, did you marry your sister? I mean, like every goddamn time. Like it's, it's oh god, it's like the joke down there. It's like you got. You got all your teeth. Still. I don't know why they talk like that up here. Uh, and that they try to they try to mimic like, the yeah, accent. They, you got your teeth still. I'm like, yeah, I do. But uh, so but I'm I missing mean, my asshole. No, I, I know all those things as far as feeling like we have a fucked up life, but we don't. No, we, don't. we have good lives. We've got really good lives. You got to look at what what's in your life and that like what yeah. what's really there versus what you feel like you're missing. I mean, you got you've got Darcy and you've got the two. Uh, step kids, kids yep. step kids and then you know i've got mine uh that i think are mine pending the test well they still uh, have hair they still have no. hair so <laughs> <laughs> so uh going back to new mexico because I, let's oh, lighten God. the mood i need you to share the story of owen rhodes <laughs> Owen Rhodes so, <laughs> is your porn star name. My porn star name, which was the name of the street going into White Sands Missile Range, where I worked doing security on the nuclear reactor for a period of time. Is the nuclear reactor for a period of time your euphemism for <laughs> I cannot my, believe I've got weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> cannot believe I'm gonna put this on a podcast. Oh my god! It's out there forever. Anybody's got SoundCloud or? Oh gosh. I'm trying to think what audience would would actually listen to this podcast. That's not going to shoot me. The There's going to be like four people. <laughs> Maybe not. Not if you title this porn star. <laughs> I'm do gonna, me, do me a favor. I'm gonna tag Stormy Daniels in this. Do me a favor. In the title, do not put Kellen Marson porn star story. Okay. Because then, then when gonna... someone googles my name, Kellen Marson, <laughs> to want to book me, the first thing that's gonna show up is porn star. You're in the entertainment business, so it's all good. It's all but good. I perform for high schools. Yeah. Oh shoot. That's and right. old folks' homes. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell a story. Okay. It'll be fine. I'll just I'll just use a different type of words instead of I won't use words like masturbation or. You just did. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> just, you were, I was pleasuring myself. Uh, no. So uh, so when I got divorced and my wife went back, her ex-wife went back to Minnesota. I, you don't have to tell us if you don't want to. I would prefer. I kind of would prefer, prefer not knowing that this is going to be a to make no, a long no. to make a long story short. I had a very short experience in a in a double wide trailer in the middle of the New Mexico desert, uh, trying out for porn. I think we all go through that phase of and like it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And we show up to the backroom casting couch. <laughs> the black couch. <laughs> the black couch and go, this is not for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you should do that. You should put a black couch in here when you bring people into your podcast. Oh, that's upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> that's in the bedroom. <laughs> so, no, no, it's all good. Yeah, well, let's, not, let's not tell that story. Long story short, you basically went in and you're like, nope, not no. here, not here. And I'm out of here. Yep, I'm out. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I may or may not have participated slightly, but uh, <laughs> you're, you're incriminating yourself. You're about to be James Gunn from Hypnotherapy. But if you want to hear the story, I, here if you want to hear the story, just so we know who listens to Casey's podcast. If you want to hear the story, just send me an email. Okay, there you go. Info at kellenmarson.com. Info and at then and then we'll see who listens to Casey's podcast because everybody wants to hear the story. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll record my own video. I'll, I'll put that in the description. Yes. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> it is worth listening to. If you like fat Mexicans and film hats, that's, uh, that's the way to, to do it. It's a 10-gallon. It's a 10-gallon hat. <laughs> it in for POV view. If you want to do something, something provocative in a double wide while a, while a fat Mexican's watching Dr. Phil on his bed in the other room, that's... <laughs> That's what you want to do. Transition. Okay, Segue. So, no. So, <laughs> all right. So now you're now you're in show business because you yep. did. So I, well, I, actually, you're a hypnotherapist. I'm a hypnotherapist. So a hypno, yep. Hypnotherapist now, and you've decided to turn that into entertainment, into yes. a form of entertainment. Um, I had the pleasure of opening for you, <laughs> uh, which is great, and I will have the pleasure of opening for you again this fall. You which will. I'm super yes, excited for. Absolutely. Um, it, with uh, Nathan Allen, right? Possibly. Oh yes, trying to put a show a show together with him. Sh- yes, shows together with yep. him. Yep. So I, we got it on the podcast. It's official. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm excited to do that. Uh, but I've well, not with Nathan Allen. A show so, that kind of like he does, where where Nathan Allen does a show with a comic. Oh, yeah. Right, and they right, that, right, they right, figure right. out how to blend the show together. Right. Like I want to do something similar where oh, where okay. where I take my hypnosis show, but we figure out how to blend it with a stand-up comedian. I think we did a good job that first show, the first couple shows. We did, we did, but I want to do it where there's more involvement with the stand-up comic. So like, like, like I could be having them do bits on stage, like in terms of like them doing goofy stuff, and then the comics bringing us up, bringing the comics, having you up there on stage stage with with me, like like doing some hilarious commentary during the the show going on. I'm excited to, I'm excited to figure this out. So like when when there's dudes having sex with chairs, you can be. I could be a chair. You could be a chair. No. <laughs> Just tell us some funny stuff. Like, like what happens, we have them doing marijuana on stage, and there's jokes about marijuana during this. Or you can roast my volunteers on stage. Like, look at this clown. He's never smoked weed a day in his life. Look how he's holding that dumb blunt. <laughs> like, you're almost roasting my volunteers. Okay. Yeah, we could do but something like that. Something so, along that line. You got in the... So you had a, an epiphany, a change of life, and you're like, I'm going to get in the hypnotherapy. Yeah. Did you, did you always do it in the comedy sense for him or like what you do now or how did you no no so i always did the the come lay on my black couch 
Yeah. I'm going to put you in hypnosis, and I'm going to help you quit smoking and lose so weight. So you did that? Yes. Okay. Yep. I did that for a lot for quite a while. I did that up until about up until about 2012, and then I began to transition out of it. Where I began to transition into the comedy side. Now, um, I didn't. So I kind of had a period where I was doing both mm-hmm. for a little bit. Like um, about 2011, I didn't. I kind of had my first taste of comedy. Yeah. Like I got asked to do a fundraiser, um, and. Uh, they were like, we need a comedy hypnosis. Like, dude, I've never done a comedy hypnosis show before in my life. Okay. Like, well, we can't find anybody, and they're all really expensive, and would you just help us out? And I was like, well, I could probably just put some cheesy shit together and come hypnotize people on stage. And uh, and I did it, and I freaking loved every minute of it. <laughs> and at the end of it, they wrote me a check for like 500 bucks, and I was like, because of the fundraiser. You know, they Apparently, people want to charge them more. I was like, well, just give me like 10% on what you raise for your fundraiser, and I'll take it. And uh, some some comedy hypnotists want to buy out. Or no, you're gonna give me fifteen hundred bucks for this show. And I was like, ah, oh, five hundred bucks. It took me an yeah. hour. How long does that take me to make as a hypnotherapist? But anyway, so so I, I kind of dabbled in that an a little hour. bit. Yeah, roughly an hour. <laughs> no, um, about a freaking two days of therapy. But uh, so I just kind of like played around with the comedy side of it, and then just really about two, that 2012 time frame, I really like went hard into the entertainment part of it. And kind of left behind the hypnotherapy. So, so as a as a comedy hypnotist, go going into like, yeah, shit, this is fun. I'm gonna do this. Um, much like us with stand up comedy, do you bomb? I mean, I. I oh, like, you want to hear about a bomb like, story, Casey? I, I kind of do now. Oh, <laughs> I kind of do. It's like fuck. I'm very interested in in that because it's oh. it's much different than doing stand up comedy. Uh, you know, in a sense, it's, you've got other people there, and so they're la- they're not really laughing at. They're you. not there to see me. They're no. They're no, there they're, to watch their yeah, right, their, exactly. their friends and family do weird stuff. on Exactly. Stage. So like when we bomb, I mean that's that's a whole different beast. Because you're by yourself. Because you're by yourself. Exactly. Yep. But you've got everything's being taken away from you as far as attention wise. Until until you bomb to hypnotize people. So okay, so tell me about like tell me just one of those stories. So okay, so so let me let me lead into it with this. So people always say that the loneliest job in entertainment is being a stand-up comedian. Yes, which kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, try being a comedy hypnotist without any volunteers. <laughs> what what the what the hell are you gonna do? Right, you're gonna stand up there and tell jokes, and you have nobody on stage. Yeah. So that kind of leads into the premise of what happens when you do get volunteers, but you fail to hypnotize none of them. Uh-huh. Like you can't get any of them in hypnosis. Now you're up there on stage by yourself, and people have a high expectation that you're going to hypnotize these people and give them a good show. Well, when you fail, now there is no show. Right. So so sometimes stand up comedy. Comedians have kind of a little benefit if they have another joke they can fall back on. Like you can lose the audience, but if you have something, you can, you can get them back. Right. But for like me, if I feel the hit, there's no getting it back. Like, oh, we'll send them back. We'll bring up a whole new group of volunteers and try it then. Like, you've already lost the audience. So to this day, I will never, ever perform for banks. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is awesome. Like, okay. like, I will never perform for banks again. And I remember it, it would, it was early when i so He's i gonna bombed, get the vault codes i've i bombed both <laughs> i bombed several times um but it was always very early on and the first one was was around december of 2013 i got hired to do a corporate hypnosis show for a bank and uh there was 
there was like a, there was a football, Green Bay Packer football game coming on or something like oh, that. Oh gosh, yeah. So so this was on having to do a show during a sporting event. Yeah, like oh, well, well so they're all there, sucks. but they all wanted to watch the freaking Green Bay Packer right. game. So I'm so I'm up there and I do this thing where I get everybody to clap their hands and try to get everybody loosened up. And so I bring these volunteers up and I I like had to work to get them. So I knew none of them wanted to be up there because banks banks try to maintain this image of very professional right, people. Right, right, right. Like a comic would work maybe okay with them, but trying to get them to come up to do goofy stuff on stage. Yeah. When they're like big bank managers and they do all this stuff and they're all dressed nice, it's very diff- it's very challenging. And uh, but I did get some up there, and but they were forced up there, so they weren't going to take this seriously. And I knew what they really wanted to do was watch a Green Bay Packer game that had just started. So it was in a different. Why place would anybody in the room. want to watch a Packer? I know game. I don't I don't freaking care. I mean <laughs> Chicago Bears, I should probably be watching. But but so so I get up there on stage, and I'm I'm thinking I'm getting these people in, and and you always are going to lose people right. as, as when they're up there. You're going to find people that can't be hypnotized. But there's maybe like <clears throat> I, I look back. There's probably eight people that I had up there for volunteers, and one at a time. They just fucking kept falling out and falling out and falling out. And I'm down to like three people. And I'm like, oh my God. And this bank paid me like 800 bucks to come do this show, which was good for me at the time because I was just like getting into it. And uh, nothing. At the end of it, I failed to hypnotize anybody. There is nothing more horrible than standing on a microphone and being like, guys, I know you hired me to be your entertainment, but I apologize. Sometimes in hypnosis, you can't get it. You can't get people to volunteer, and then you're kind of in this position. So it's your fault. Yeah, you're, and that's what you wanted. That's the position you're in. Like, I want to blame these bastards because of the Green Bay Packer game. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, fuck you, Aaron I know. And so, and so, yeah, it was so freaking horribly oh awkward. Goodness. Like the tension. Like nobody's laughing, nobody's talking, and I'm just like, oh god. So then I was like, you know what? You guys can just keep the check. Like, I'm just, like, you keep the check. I don't want your money. I failed wow. to entertain you. And they end up giving me the check anyway. Right. And the guy still gave me the check. Um, but I saw, like, with stand-up comedians, you guys show up, and usually there's there's audio sounds and a microphone ready for you yeah, and yeah, so yeah. forth. I, I end up having to usually bring my own sound because right. I have to play music and stuff like that. Right. So not only did I bomb, it's not like I could grab my check and, and, and disappear. Yeah, like, yeah. I have to stand there and wind up <laughs> my audio freaking cables and pull out my audio systems. And it's just like, it's just dead quiet in there during this. And I'm just like, oh my God, I got to move. I got to move someplace else. Like, this is horrible. Like, I got to move to like Florida now or something. Get far, <laughs> far away from this. I got to get out of the fuck out my, of this. My state. name, my name is freaking done. And, uh,. It never, it never, like, it never. I don't think it ever affected me in the, res- in the I guess the, the respect that these people would, because they're just gonna be like, go back to their lives, and a month later they're not gonna think about it. But and maybe they do. Maybe they laugh about it now, like, yeah, five years later. But remember that shitty, remember that shitty hypnotist we had? <laughs> and they, well, I said, hey, well, I got you to laugh at least, because you're laughing, you're laughing about how shitty I was. But yeah, so, so usually when you bomb, it's along those lines. Um, is that you just you failed to hypnotize enough people, or or you do hypnotize them, but is you there, don't have good animated volunteers, right. and that makes it very challenging as well. Is there a good group of people, yeah. the best type of people to hypnotize? Yeah. Uh, who are these people? Um, one of gullible I'm, individuals. One or, no, uh, no, no not even so much gullible people. It's the people that that aren't so reserved. So okay. like, stay away from banks. You probably don't want to go to a hypnosis show in a church. Which I have a funny story about doing a hypnosis show in a church. Um. But, like, bar people are fun because they're to have a good time. They've had a few drinks. I like to do um, blue-collar 
type events. Okay. Like, I do a lot of events with, like, grain elevators. Yep. Um, so there's a lot around here. Um, or people that are in factory work. Right. Because they don't have, they don't really give a shit Maybe what they look. Yeah, they're gonna, yeah, yeah. they're gonna fucking go to work and leave and no, they yeah. don't, they don't care. They're gonna show up to the show in their flannel shirt and not a suit and tie. Like, um, so those are the better audiences to work with. I like to say high school, like, for, performing for high schools are easy too, but I don't, as much as they, I do a lot of them, I don't like them. Because I don't like, I just, my personality is a little bit more dirty. Right. And you really, I don't like having to be restrained in what I can and cannot do. Like, like that that show we did in, uh, in Pier, where you just went up on stage and you just freaking like threw out the first joke to see how the audience would respond. First off, let's just say this, is that that, that show in Pier that you brought me to do... <laughs> They, everybody was leaving. Everybody thought yeah, there the was, show was over. Yep. And so there was like maybe was 20 anybody left people there. left. And like nobody's listening. So, <laughs> I mean, nobody, like nobody's listening. We, I, didn't, I don't even think I got a, you know, going up. So I'm, I'm like, hey, how's everybody going? <laughs> and I just opened up with that first joke about... You know, my wife being too drunk, she gets porn star drunk just to get people's attention. Yeah. Like, wait, what? And so but I, it, but it didn't work. <laughs> I, no, I, I came mean, out because I was in the bathroom and I came out and I just heard the last end of your joke and I just look in the room and no, nothing. And I was I like, mean, I want to stand in the back and go, <laughs> <laughs> like that's my boy. No, <laughs> but so I mean, I. Bombed. I I knew I bombed. I walked out, but I walked off. I was like that was fun. <laughs> yeah. But you but you made it. But but you you definitely the part of being an opener is that you're you're getting right. the headliner and the feature to understand what kind of crowd they're going to be dealing with here, oh, yeah, and it gives yeah, them the opportunity yeah, yeah. to to kind of adjust adjust what they're Kate doing. And Mike did a great job. Oh, they did so. absolutely. I just hate uh, I just hate feeling like with high school shows that I can't. I, I'm creative when it comes to being dirty. Right. But it's it's tough to be clean. And comics go, you guys as comics go through this as well. Like, yep. you're trying to get an hour set. It's easy for me to get an hour because I can fill stuff. Hour. But for you to get a clean hour, like, you need a lot of clean jokes right. to to make it happen. So it's always easier for me to, to go into, like, a bar or a club. And I love those shows a hundred times. Right? They never pay as much, but I would take those any day over a high school or a county fair or even mm-hmm. a corporate show. Like, like that's, that's why when I talk to you about finding a comic to work with is because I really want to – um, transition from a lot of those things into just sticking to that bar type and nightclub type environment. Right. So where you can, where I feel like I could be myself and nobody's going to freaking kick my ass after the show or something like that. Right. Which right. has happened before. So. <laughs> Never got my ass kicked, but I've had, I've pissed off a guy's or a woman's husband. Oh, yes, once. yes. Yeah. Because, oh, yes, yes. So I made her suck a penis, penis sucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So this guy got super mad that <laughs> her husband was on stage being hypnotized. <laughs> very he, religious, very, very religious guy in very, a very religious yes, town. Yes. And she went to town on a penis sucker yep. that you bought from one of the adult stores. Yep. And he was like, I've had enough. Didn't he interrupt the show? Yeah, he like he like threw his chair like in the room and just like slid his chair back and then like threw it out of the way. Then goes and grabs a like goes out into the bar, grabs a beer bottle and throws it down the freaking hallway against the wall. It like shatters. 
Then he goes outside. I am not making this shit up. This guy goes outside because it's a small town and throws a rock. He either threw a rock or punched the, the bank window and shattered it. And then went and took a realty sign and, like, threw it in the freaking street. And the police ended up getting called. All because he was all, jealous All because sucker. he was jealous because of the, the of penis the sucker. sucker. Yeah. Oh and I was like, you're jealous about that? She was grinding on me, like, like 25 <laughs> minutes ago. And you're pissed off over a penis sucker? Maybe like, he likes cuckolding. I don't, I don't know what the deal was. But then after the fact, everyone was really cool. They they left, but they told me that, no, nah, they've had problems in a relationship oh, with sucks. infidelity for a long time. But, but yeah, you get... Nature of the beast. Right, right. Yeah, how are you supposed to know these things? <laughs> Fuck, I know that your yeah. that your wife's banging some other that's person. What, that's what I hate about doing jokes too, when people take offense to them. Like, how is I? How do I know your story? Yeah, I exactly. Don't give a shit. I'm like here to tell jokes. I'm here to tell jokes that make me laugh, and hopefully they make you laugh. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's freaking, but it's fun. So you've done the hip, you did the hypnotherapy. What made you want to do wackos? So, I. Were you looking for a venue for yourself? Exactly. A venue for yourself. I wanted I wanted a place where I could run my show. Yeah. Because I kind of wanted to get off the road a little bit, and I wanted to do a place where I could run a show myself, yep. just my show. Um, so I didn't particularly need a fifty four hundred square foot building <laughs> that cost me five thousand dollars a month. Right. I wasn't really thinking that through, but I couldn't find any other place that wanted that was willing to say, "Yeah, I'll rent you a commercial space to." to hypnotize people and, and do that and this already had a bar and a cooler and that kind of stuff so I said well maybe we'll maybe we'll rent the place and then um, I could do my show but do stand-up comedy as well mm-hmm. now I knew I knew about stand-up comedy which you what they and even a lot of and I don't say this to offend stand-up comics but a lot of stand-up comics don't see the behind the scenes of what it takes to to make a club work like right. there's a business side of it yeah. they see a place a stage and a place to get paid and a place to entertain and a place that they can call home mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff but there's some workings under it i a don't think bit. you're going to offend comics but i think there are a lot more than than you know who actually know those ins and outs sure about and, oh, there are like like there's some in here that know it absolutely you know, and I, it, those hustlers are the sure. ones that know those insights. Yep, absolutely. No, and I'm not saying there there aren't any. Um, there are definitely ones that know, like, and there's one here in Sioux Falls that knows the inside workings of a club. Right. So, yep. so it's not like like they don't, but but sometimes they, I think maybe it's better. Sometimes I think they forget that a club's a business. Right. Sometimes, and it's not it's not always there's things there's things you have to do that may not make comics happy. Right. And it's just it's just part of the. Um, just part of the business part of it, but so that's so then that kind of led into the whole comedy club thing and saying, you oh, know, what the fuck do I have to lose? Let's freaking let's do it. So I rented the space, spent a few months getting it ready, and then uh, opened it up, mm-hmm. and so, then it closed. No. <laughs> so let's talk about that year of having it open. I, mean, uh, what, what, I know what it was like. I was yeah. You worked I, there. You I were there. there. Almost I worked there. I, I, en- I enjoyed it immensely working there. It, it was I a great it. opportunity. Was able to network. Uh, built a lot of good relationships. You know, still get to go on shows with some of those comics that have passed through. Absolutely, which is which is fantastic. And hopefully, those comics will be on on this show too. Definitely. Um, but from an owner's standpoint, I mean, what's going through your head week in and week out? Um, it was always. It was always a cash flow issue with the club. Um, it was always. About, Are you okay telling? All yeah, that? yeah. I don't okay. give a shit. I'll I'll freaking talk about it all day because it was a very it's a very challenging part of my life. Yeah, I learned a ton about it. Like I learned I learned a crap load in that year. Um, 
But uh, we run out of time. No, no, oh, no. We can okay. go, we can go as long as you want. So, I just wanted to see how how long we were. At. So I've learned uh, I've learned a ton about it, about just the business side of it. I've learned a different view of uh, the life in the life of stand up comics. I've I've associated with stand up comics for years, but I've never I've never seen because you don't go to open mics as a comedy hypnotist. Right. Let me ask that. So yeah. you've associated with stand up comics for years. Stand up comics hate you. They hate hypnotists. You want to know why? Here's why. And we can, we we will, we'll near the end of this, we'll do like 20 minutes where I'll talk, I'll talk more about that if you want a little well, bit with yeah, a no, hypnotist. No, no, no. And uh, um, do you? There was someone that put a. You may have saw it. They put a comment on uh, on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Oh, did you see that one? I think I did. About too. about comedy hypnotists. I think are neither are right. neither funny, funny at either of them, being yes. a hypnotist or a comedian. It was like. Stewart or something like that. <laughs> and I put that on there, and I saw it, and I wanted to, I wanted to comment back and be like, "Well, there, you're, there is actually a difference between the both of us. Hypnotists make money, and comedians don't." But, <laughs> but I was like, you know, I better not. But, but there is, and and a lot of a lot of stand-up comedians don't want hypnotists in clubs because they don't feel like like that's not stand-up comedy, and it's not. And there's a very defined line, like right. there's a, a line of what stand-up comedy and what isn't. Um, and I think sometimes comics don't like hypnotists on the because we we tend to be easier to sell out a comedy hypnosis show than it is to sell out a stand up comedy show because people want to be a part of right a part of the show so that you have that so you have kind of a, a little bit of a natural draw when you do one of those shows and it's very tough um, if you're a stand up comic and you haven't had a huge name out there um, to be able to pull a draw in for a stand up right, comedy right. show I think they they don't like that but at the same time we do make quite a bit more. Uh, for a show than what a stand-up comic will make and I think they feel like like and I'm just I'm just Speaking out of my ass with this because I don't know for sure how they all feel but but I think sometimes they feel like my god I have to spend all this time writing this material and testing this material right, right. and grinding this material to go and do then a show Joker yeah. comes out and brings out a penis shaped sucker and, and everybody loves him Like they like the comic goes <laughs> oh and I, and I get paid $200 to do this show but this clown will get paid a thousand to do this right. show and it takes no skill Well there is well I had to learn how to be a hypnotist right. and I had to go to I had to go to school to understand it because there's a lot of negative things that can happen with people in hypnosis so, really? so there's a risk sometimes when you're doing it. You have to look for way more. You have to look for people that are abreacting or they're shaking on stage because those are signs that they're having an adverse reaction to the hypnosis. So there's a lot of things and there's a higher liability. Do you just give them things. Benadryl? If they have no, no you, just, you just take them out of hypnosis. <laughs> but just drink this. It'll fix you. They're allergic to hypnosis. But then, but then at the same time, like, like we have material that can bomb too. Like, yeah. comics, like comics do as well. But, you, but thankfully comics get an open mic night. We don't get to go to an open mic night to see because our show's too long. We don't get to go to an open mic night to see if something's gonna bomb or not. Right. We just so and that's why I always have a beef with open mics sometimes where comics feel like they have to go to them. And it's like bullshit. I'll do I'll do bits on stage that nobody laughs at, and I'll just be like, ah, fuck it, and then I'll go do something else. Like and no and people forget about it. And so so I feel like sometimes comics spend a lot of time going to open mic nights when they put half that energy into. Um, but have that energy into just trying to book shows and get like in front of mm -hmm. audiences mm -hmm. rather than a regular open mic audience, which is oftentimes in Sioux Falls and even other areas is comics performing for comics. So we don't yeah. have that. We don't have the influx of people that you can really get an idea of how this material will actually um, progress and right. work. So, um, but yeah. So where were we? At that? <laughs> I know we're gonna we're gonna jump. Um, we were talking about you know the ins and outs of, of every weekend. Oh, and, sure. And you as an owner. Yeah. So it's a, there's, it's a lot, 
it was a lot more work than what I anticipated by yourself. So not only are you trying to, and with a comedy club, it's tough because you just don't know how many people you're going to have in that right. night. Like you don't, you could have five people or you could have 10 people or you could have a hundred people. You just don't know. And when it comes to cash flow, you're, you make mo- you are as a comedy club owner, you are in the drink and food business. That's where you make your money. Right. So that, that you're going to make some on ticket sales, but that will maybe pay for the comic. But in terms of you making profit, it's going to come from drinks. <laughs> and so, um, if you buy too much alcohol, then it sits there and eats your cash flow up until you can get rid of it. So it's always a, it's always a, you live by the week and almost every club does that. They live by the week. So this is what, this is how much alcohol I need to sell. This is how many tickets I need to go to keep my doors open for, for mm-hmm. this week of time. The ones that are really established may not have that, have that problem. Like, or the big chain ones, like the improvs or the funny bones or things like that. They may not have such a problem, but if you're a, if you're a, a single name, you, you're not a franchise association or anything like that. Then you you really do live like, and I've talked to other club owners like you do really focus on that. What do I need to do to make this sale? And summer, and it's not you have bad summers. Like summers are terrible and yeah. they're they're horrible to have. But what I didn't realize is not only are you having to worry about the alcohol, you're having to figure out how to market the shows, yeah. get the comics in. You're paying a guy like I did to book comics, which I I would have ne- I wouldn't do again. I would book them myself um, and save that money. But you, so you're doing that, and then you're cleaning the place up, and and if it's just you, you don't have the you don't have the funds to be paying a staff to do a lot of the cleaning. Like come in, work the show, but we got. So get you kept you. kicking me out. Yeah, I don't want to pay you guys. I'm like, I will well, because, work for free. Because during the week, I could be in there and cleaning this stuff, but it's a lot. Like that's that was right. a big space. Yeah. To be able to maintain and vacuum and wipe tables down and and everything like that. Um, so I didn't anticipate 60 hours, 70 hour weeks, if not more, when you add in the time of doing the shows on the weekends and that stuff and just having a Sunday off. And usually on that Sunday, you're going back into the book work or you'll go back in and at least get the, all the alcohol out and so that nothing smells. And then Monday I'll come in and start the full cleaning and you just prepare for the next week. So there's a lot of work that I did not anticipate, um, that you would have to do to, to really keep the club going. Right. It- if you were to to go back and reopen it again, is there something you would have done different? Yeah, if I went so if I went back and reopened it again, um, here's here's what I learned: you can try to sell tickets all day long, and people and clubs are afraid to admit this, but you're going to have to at some point pay for the room yeah. because if you don't, you if you have an empty seat in that club, and this is where it becomes a fine line: if you have an empty seat in that club, you just lost ten dollars, no matter because they're either going to drink ten dollars. But if they're not going to pay $10 for the ticket, whatever you could do, you've got to get a seat in there. Now, um, again, I don't offend people. It's very difficult to run. You you want a smaller space. I felt like Wackles was too big. Mm-hmm. But you still need a space. You really need to find a space that will seat 100 people. If you seat 50 to 60 people and you have to pay for that and you're only selling maybe 20 tickets or whatever, it's very difficult to make it. So... You could pay for the shit out of them and fill it, but you got to have the space and the capacity to fit that many people in there to be able to make it profitable. Right. And um, there's a whole science behind papering and why it's done, and there's definitely a reasons why you should never do it. Um, but at the time of opening Wackos, we started too soon papering the room. I think we should have held back a little bit, and I and that was my fault. Some, I got nervous a little bit, especially yeah. with our first show. Our tickets weren't selling how they were. They sold really well at the end, but we ended up and his shows ended up selling out. But the problem is I'd already papered these seats. So there was no way I could sell tickets on them anymore because the show was filled. So it's a very fine line of what you what you can do. And once you start that papering, then you end up with people saying, "Well, I'm not going to buy a ticket. I'll just wait till I get a free ticket to the show." So I would I would have I would pull that back. 
I would have taken the, the venue down, which could seat about 250 if you really wanted to, and take it down to where it sat, about 100, 150 people. I found a room that could do that. Um, I would not book, I would not pay a guy to book comics for the club. I would book them myself. Um, and so that would definitely, that definitely would save, that was $1,000 a month mm -hmm. to just have him send comics to you. So I wouldn't have done that. Um, and I probably would have, if I had the money at the time, I probably would have bought a building instead of paying the rent that I was paying. I would have rather found a building and put more of my own touch on it. Yeah. Um, then I would have given some guy $5,000 a month for no reason. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I would have bought an ice machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Always having to buy ice every weekend. Oh. Holy shit. That was fun. So, you know, when it was, was the ultimate to, to go back to, to it closing down was the ultimate decision to close it down based on cash flow reason or you know what what led what led to it and how long did you know that you know the last show you're that put, we had you're gonna put me on the spot i am I, I, which I'm, is good i love it no, no i i, 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 I want to know too it's, yeah absolutely i have a lot of feelings towards wackos i i loved it it was a it, I loved it. I miss it. I, I miss I have, the club to this day. Like I, I had so much no fun there. No animosity towards uh, wackos or or toward towards working with you. It, it was it was fun. I wanted. I just want to know. I mean, sure. It, it's uh, this is attention seeking behavior. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. <laughs> so so I'll throw the number out there. So we were making as a club after all expenses were done, comics went through, rent was paid. We we're making about eight hundred dollars a month for that year. It never it it peaked. Sometimes it would go down a little bit. Sometimes it would go up. But at the end of the day, after everything was paid off. That's what would go into my pocket, and that wasn't enough to be. And that wasn't like saying eight hundred a year, a month, a month, a month. Okay, yeah. A month. Okay. So it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for me to even like. And that wasn't counting a lot of marketing stuff or anything like that. Like if I wanted to do a big marketing, there was no money to do it. Right. It'd come out of my own pocket. So it wasn't. It was obviously profitable in one respect, but it wasn't enough where it would be like, man, I can live off yeah. this. And so as the year, I would say once summer hit. And because, and when I'm averaging on 800 over the whole year, there was there was months where we'd make three thousand dollars or four thousand dollars as a club. But then as as May as, as well, I should say probably around March, I started noticing like, fuck, we're getting less because summer's starting to come and spring yeah, is coming and and stuff is kind of transitioning a little bit. And I started watching it less and less and less and less. And I'm going, fuck, like like I'm not prepared to handle this so then you're stuck with this situation like do i just shut the club down during the summer which was going to be my initial plan but then you're going well why shut the club down it's better to make something than nothing as long as i'm not losing money on opening the door that night yeah. i'd rather make some money than no money so um i kept kind of the the club going and you know what i in the end what really probably kept it alive was when i would do my show because i didn't have to pay myself so it was free for me to go on stage and do the show. But so you're I, putting all that money towards the club. It is essentially what was happening. So it was the show was my show would send money back into the club to keep it functioning yeah. on a previous night that we had a, a rough night or a bad night. Um, so I watched his cash flow and then I realized like it's affecting more than just me. Like I'll take the hit on on it. Uh, like a, like I made the choice to do it. You know it can affect my life all at once. Right. But if it's affecting. Darcy's life, which yeah. is my girlfriend, those wondering. It's affecting Darcy's Who? life. Yeah, just <laughs> or or um, my stepkids' life because I'm not there. Yep. And then 
I was also at the time still doing one weekend a month in the guard. Yeah. And I was still gone occasionally because I had shows. And the only one left around the club is Darcy to be there for one of us. And she had a full-time job during the week. Mm -hmm. So it was like, man, my decision is exhausting everybody. Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't exhausted. You weren't exhausted. No, HR was was killing it. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) Um, And I loved it too. And and I miss it to this day. Even in the – you saw like the – I don't know, maybe they, they were up when I did that housewarming yes, party yes, where all the things were in there. Yeah, like they, the those, those canvases mean the world. Like they're, yeah. they're, it was a big, it's a big part of my life, even though it only lasted a year. It had a huge impact on my life. And, uh, but I would say, I would say about the second week in June, yeah. I started realizing that is this, is this like, am I ever going to get it where it can make more than what it's making? Um, because I'm not ready to get out of the military. And that's was the choice I had. Right. This was the exact dilemma I was in. If I'm going to get this club going, I've got to dedicate all my time to it. I, which means I can't go on the road. i got to give up being a comedy hypnotist. And at the time, I had the option to get out of the Army because my, my ETS day, we called her your end of service day, was coming up. And so um, I was like, well, I could get out of the guard and be done doing comedy hypnosis and dedicate to the club. But that was, I just couldn't do that decision. Like, I just was like, fuck, man. Like, like my comedy hypnosis is making more money than, and it was making a living for me to survive than what the club was doing. So, came to kind of that, that heart-to-heart talk with myself of like, fuck, you know, the club, the club has got to go. As much as I love it, I, I'm going to shut it down because it's not worth, um, it's not worth destroying my, my relationship with Darcy. It's not worth destroying my relationship with my stepkids um it's just it's not worth that headache and and the hardest the hardest thing for me was the fact that i had employees that put a lot of effort into that club and and there was you and then there was emily and brian who were there from the day we opened our doors and and they always were there and we one thing we're very blessed with is we never had a horrible turnover with employees and i and they were very we had a couple but but they were very everyone. Yeah, I that think like two. Two, yeah. yeah. Everybody was just and like Amanda that was there. Like she was there for a really long time, and she'd have stayed there as long as probably we we had it. But that I had to t- and and um, like for her, like it really broke my heart because you guys all had regular full time jobs, and right. this was this was was extra money coming in for you, or you just loved comedy, one or the other. Yeah. But for her, like this was uh, this was her income, right. and that was very hard for me to uh, to do. And there was one thing I always promised myself as I said no matter what the health of the club was in my employees were always going to get paid mm-hmm. so it didn't matter it didn't matter if we had a bad week and, and I struggled to pay the comics that week or I'm sorry and the comics would get paid but if, if I could didn't have money to feed myself or something like that like you guys were going to get paid mm-hmm. and and I was not gonna was not gonna do that to anybody so it was very tough then to look at you guys and be like I have to shut this place down here's why and then mm-hmm. boom like it, it was done and it was crazy because just as it opened, well, exactly one year later, almost right. it, it closed. So. I mean, if, if you had ever came and said, "Hey, we can't, we can't have you," I would, I would have worked for free. I would have worked for stage and time. I, and I know you, and I, and I know you would have. And, and I think, I think it, the place was just a fun. It was a fun place. It was. It to was work. a good time. And I enjoyed it immensely. It, it, it was nice to have consistent regular comedy back in Super yeah Falls. absolutely um, absolutely you know and, and that's not to say that you know the other club right now that's the club in, in you know quotation marks, yeah absolutely it isn't you know going well I, i'm glad to see that we're still bringing comics definitely in, into definitely. To south dakota and into sioux falls and we're you know they're still making those connections but wackos was um wackos was great it, so. it, and it made it, it impacted 
it impacted a lot of people. Like I was in, um, I was in Rapid City this past week, and uh, I met a couple at a dive bar I was at, and they were from Sioux Falls. Yeah, we had this conversation with them. Um, and they had gone to one of my hypnosis shows at the club, and they're like, "My God, we're so sad to see that place close. It was like one of it was like our favorite place to go to yeah. in Sioux Falls, and they've lived there for a while. And like we've been to other clubs, but this place just for some reason they said just felt so fun right. when you walked in from everybody that worked there. And I was like, and that was the whole the whole vision of the thing was that you came in from the moment you came until the moment you left. You you felt like a person. You felt like you had a good time. You weren't just a number coming through the door, filling a seat like that. We wanted you to feel like. This was a place you could come whenever you wanted, right. and you'd feel like you were part of the family, and uh, which is thus the whole theme of a comedy club. But uh, but yeah, my favorite thing to do all the time at the club was when people would walk outside to go smoke, and they're like, "Can I go smoke?" And I'd be like, "Do you still have your ticket?" Because <laughs> we, we never gave them tickets. Actual tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and they would always freak out for that like two three second oh. moment where they you were you were famous for fucking with people man you fucked with people so much like i just walked away i was like whatever man it doesn't matter what i say this guy's still gonna fuck with these people when they come through the door oh my goodness i oh my that God. was that was some of my favorite <laughs> things to do or oh. uh, or like when we would sit him down like you don't happen to have any food or anything on your person, do you? They'd be like, what? No, why? I'm like, okay, because we just asked to not feed the comics. <laughs> yeah, it was, so, it was so fun. Or, I don't want to sit up front. Please don't Please don't make me sit up front. Like, are you going to be an asshole? No? Then you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> are you going to be a dick? No? you got nothing to worry about. We were probably one of the... We're probably one of the few clubs that figured out initially. I wish I would have stuck with it, and I wish I would have never stopped. Oh, we it. always where we were it where we were one of the first clubs for the period of time that could get people to buy tickets specifically to sit in the front, front row. row. Yeah, like it was it was. I don't know why that worked. Like you couldn't ask people to sit in the front row, but they would pay to sit in the front row because they, oh, it must be special if I'm if I'm, right, if I'm right. paying to sit there. It must be a great seat. Like it was weird, and it and then when I look back at the books that generated like. Eight, nine, a thousand dollars in revenue a month when we first started, <laughs> and when I stopped it, I saw that it climbed back. But I, but one thing yeah, I, I, that's tough, tough with business is that you you want to make everybody happy and you can't. And so even though it was like very profitable, it took one person to bitch about it and create a negative review on it for me to freaking oh, say yeah, I'm I'm, I'm done with it. And that's very hard for me because I wanted everyone to have a good time. And then I'm thinking, well, if this person said that, are other people going? Well, I'm not going to say anything to this guy about about that. But so essentially, those listening, you would buy the table, so so yeah, you yeah, yeah. so you could get a ticket to the show, but it was just road seating. And if you wanted to sit with a table, which everybody wanted because of their drinks, then you would pay ten dollars, and that would just be for the whole group, and you'd get right. a table for yep, two. Yep. But as those tables filled, eventually people would get to the front, and they would have to pay ten dollars to sit in the front row, and they would do it because they wanted a the table. table. And so it was a. The, it was one of my most proudest accomplishments with that club is to figure out how to get people to pay to sit in the front row. We found row. that in the third act of, of Wackos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we always played around things. And the, yeah, 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 it was uh, it was fun. And you know, you can look back and you can war game the the thing all along. But but you know what the club did do? Okay, it, it, in terms of me, it gave me a shit ton of business when I closed that club. Because all the shows I did oh, in there, yeah, yeah, people yeah. know knew who I was. Like they knew that I was the, the the comedy hypnotist in Sioux Falls, and I'm still getting people calling me that want to book shows, um, for like their company Christmas party or stuff like that because they saw right. my show at Wackos, and that's the positive I take away from it. Like even though the club closed and and it had some negative things as an entertainer, 
it has like helped me tenfold. Like it's insane the number of phone calls I get because of that. The residual when one business. door closes, another one opens. Exactly, types of absolutely. Things, you know? It might not have worked out for all the comics or anybody. I mean, everybody else who's who is working there. Definitely, we, we, we all landed on our feet. You know, we're still doing something. I hey, I got this podcast. You got this now. podcast. I got this the, podcast now. I, and I then still, you put me on the spot on the podcast because I because yep. I, I fired your ass. Wasn't no. <laughs> <laughs> a firing. It wasn't. No, I put you guys all into a room and we had a little right? little conversation. And oh, it was good. I I mean, I remember. I, I think we all got really choked up there because it it, it felt it grew really on good. you. It, huh? was, it was a it was a fun club. And I, I think some of my favorite moments were is, oh, you're going to have me work in the bar today, Kellen? Okay, well, the Cubs are playing. <laughs> I'm watching. <laughs> I'm putting on the Cubs game on my phone to watch the Cubs game in the bar. Oh, so my God. To do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It was... Oh, it was so fun. I miss it. Like, like I, I'm glad I don't have it right anymore because it was a lot of stress and a lot of work. But I always look back at the positive things. Yeah. And there were so many fun moments. Just... Uh, it was a blast. The escape so, unit that we brought in. Uh, what's the stupidest thing or the stupidest customer we you ever had at uh, Wackos? Um, can I pause for a minute? Yeah, you can pause for a minute. Take your time. All right. Um, I had a lot of strange customers. <laughs> um, the weirdest guy. Yeah. Or like the worst customer. Which one? Yeah, which one? Which do you want me to tell you about the weirdest guy I've had, or you the could worst say both? You I could had? say both. Um, I would say the I would. It's tough because I don't. You know, you don't talk to him too much after the after the show starts. I've had some. I guess I should say I've had some people that have been like, "What the fuck?" Like I've had like I've had people. Got a guy one time. Maybe you were there when this. Happened. I think you were the one that told me this. Like I had a two dudes come in one time that like brought alcohol in with them. And they were sitting there at the table drinking the alcohol. And I went over to them and I said, you can't, you can't, you can't drink, drink this alcohol in here. And one of the guys takes the beer, <laughs> chugs it, and then goes and smashes it like on his table. And like goes, and burps. And I'm like, what the fuck do I say to this? Um, I've had that. Um, I've had people come in in wheelchairs that like, not nothing against disabled people, but they're always like trying to like they gotta go to the bathroom. They want to sit yeah. in a specific spot in the club, and I try to keep them in the back, back because right. I don't want them to disturb people. But then they always want to be in the front so they can see. And then it, it never fails during the show. I got it. So guys gotta go to the bathroom. So you got this guy in a wheelchair, like wheeling through yeah. everybody and banging into shit and like so like bizarre stuff like that. I've had really rude people yeah. that have that have uh, come through. Like God, what comic was it? So someone left a negative review about it where she said she used to love going to the club, but then one of the comics was telling a fat joke and felt like he was looking right at her <laughs> when when he told the joke. And I'm like, you can't see but four feet in front of you with these damn lights. There's no way this comic picked out the one fat person when there was multiple fat people in the room, picked out this fat person and looked at her and called jokes to her. like, And they gave a negative review because of it. Like, are you freaking serious or... Uh, People complaining about um, just stuff about like, oh, I gotta have the two drink minimum, or right. like someone someone posted a comment once and said that we had folding chairs in our club and gave a negative review because of it. I'm like, I've never had folding, folding chairs. chairs. In fact, we when we bought the chairs, you could buy a chair that was an inch or an inch and a half in padding, and we bought ones with an inch and a half because we knew people's asses would be on them for a while. Right. Like at no time have we ever had folding <laughs> chairs in our freaking club. Any complaints about the staff? No, no, no yes. never. I never had complaints about. Everyone was yes. always told that. I know. I was, was always the. I was always a dick. No, never, never had. 
ever had complaints about the uh, the staff or people not understanding that we don't have a liquor license. So right. we made oh wine my based, god, that's my So we made wine based thing. spirits, and they never understood that concept that like we don't have a liquor license. But we'll, and Darcy made some good drinks. She yeah, was good. Yeah. At, she did well with the wine spirits that we had. But uh, they just were like, well, why don't you have a liquor license? Or why don't you, fuck, you have, have $250,000 to buy me a liquor license? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I'll have liquor in here for you. Right. Oh, right. yeah, I know, every time, every time. We don't have, no, we don't have rum rum. <laughs> we I have wine based. Darcy got good at though, because Darcy eventually just stopped telling him, yeah, we got rum, let's pour this. Yeah. <laughs> like, you wouldn't even tell him that. that that's, you couldn't, I don't think you, you could tell the no. difference. If you were a heavy, heavy drinker, you could tell the difference. Probably. But. But then everyone's like, oh, I didn't know that. And then they'll be like, I didn't know there was a wine-based liquor. Oh, they screwed me out of freaking money and alcohol and, like, whatever. Like, but, yeah, people are always bitching about that. But, <laughs> you know, in the end of it, it was a, it was a fun, fun thing. Yeah, and I miss it to this day. And now a church, the church that was renting it from me now owns, rents the building. Oh, full, rents all for okay, Yep. So, so it worked out for them because they were always looking for a spot to hold their services. So yeah. <laughs> I rented a comic club to a church for those that are listening <laughs> so they can do church on Sundays. <laughs> we had to bless it every night yeah. after the show and, uh, to wash away the sins that were committed and said in that building. <laughs> but they were looking, they were church trying to get the feet on the ground so they got a good deal and then obviously they're doing well now because they've leased the building. Mm-hmm. The building sold and then they leased it from whoever bought the building, so they're in there like full time now. Oh, but, very cool. Which very is cool. good because that was one of my other concerns: is I'm going to go to hell because I just kicked a church out of their location because I closed the club down. Yeah. <laughs> but it all it all works out. It always does work out in the end. And people, uh, I mean, I was I got stuck on the media and everybody bashed things, and but within like a month it was forgotten and nobody freaking yeah thinks twice about it. Yeah. It tends to happen. In good times. Absolutely. How are you feeling? I'm good. Feel good? Yeah. You like it? Yeah. All right. So we're at about 92 Holy minutes. Holy crap. Right, right? Hey, I told you. It's been the longest podcast <laughs> ever. <laughs> Is this your first podcast? No. Oh, no? I was on uh, Robert Mailing's oh, okay. podcast. We this talked about the club before it closed two weeks later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so some of this is going to be rehashed. I Probably. Think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wonderful. That's all right. That's all right. And Robert's a great guy. So oh, he wonderful. is. Uh, I hopefully hopefully there's a lot of new stuff in here that there is yeah there okay, oh good. we talked a lot about a lot more stuff than good good than what we talked about with him because they have their own topic that they talk about right. and then they talk talk about you specifically I haven't been invited to Robert's podcast yet so hopefully that'll change uh, no I'm just kidding um, Robert <laughs> Robert if you're listening um, so here's what I like to do because you know we we actually went really heavy uh, only two <laughs> episodes in we went really heavy today yeah. Um, so we got a couple of things that we we do at the uh, at the end. Okay. How we wrap up. Um, we play a few games. We we play uh, uh, impressions. Or you just uh, do the impressions that you know that you can do. Oh, I don't know. We shit can about play impressions. my wife or Ariana Grande. Um, <laughs> or we can play weird news. And with weird news, you have to guess. Uh, the the first iteration of the game was you have to guess where this where in the world this took place okay uh we now changed it to is this real or is this fake let's totally play it okay no i want to play this one yeah play weird news yeah because i heard this on a radio station and i was laughing my ass (laughs) you heard this oh shit i thought i was original i never comics aren't original you can't be original someone's always thought of something somebody's always thought of something okay so we can play (laughs) we can play weird news yes um and that, and that is fine. And that, I'm glad you didn't play uh, my wife or Ariana Grande because the running joke is that I don't have any quotes for Ariana Grande or my wife. <laughs> <laughs> that would sound similar. <laughs> so if Ariana Grande's listening, like, what? Dang. 
I don't have anything. So every anytime anybody breaks that, I was like, shit, I, you, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> are you ever going to bring your wife on the podcast? You know, I, I've been th- talking about it. I think it would be fun. Your wife and kids? Uh, uh, you know, we might have like mini episodes. Yeah, like just like, little like, little feeders like to put 15, in there. 10, 15 minute podcasts with, cool. with my kids or something like that. that I'm totally cool. going to listen to your podcast too, by the way. Like, like a lot of podcasts have a theme. Yours yeah. does not. No, it and that's doesn't. what makes it fun. Is like you never know where where the end we, of the show well, is going to take it, you, and that's what's freaking cool about it. I, my, the first episode we uh, talked with my my brother. You know, I jo- was joined with my brother. Sure. Um, and we talked to we didn't get to grow up together. Yeah. So and I'll let you listen to the podcast. It's yeah. Let me know because I'm gonna I'm gonna become a fan of your podcast. Wait, get a Facebook awesome. page going. I, I do. Oh, I, do. I, I have. I, all of that, I probably liked so. it by the way. Uh, <laughs> I like everybody's oh, page. Thank you. Thank I like you. everybody's page that uh, that they send me. All right. So how we play this game? Uh, we can play it. Bo- we can play it both ways. Uh, where in the world this takes place? You have to guess that. Okay. So I'll, I'll read it and I'll take some things hard. out of this. Or um, is this uh, real or fake? We can play both ways. You can say if it's real or if it's fake. Okay. Okay. And then you can tell me where you think it's from. So let me see here. Let me get these pulled up. So Casey Custer. Say this. No. All right. A video shows woman snatching and bagging birds at a United States park. So you know it takes place in the United States. So a U.S. park ranger confronted a woman seen snatching birds at a historic square <laughs> in this city and placing them alive in plastic bags. And she claimed she released the birds after catching them. Videos posted to Instagram on Wednesday show the woman capturing what appears to be sparrows as she and a man sit on a bench near this. So is, it, is this a site you're pulling these off of where I, it says it could I, be real I pulled these up. I just pulled these up. Okay. And I know if they're real or fake. All right. All right. So, oh man, there's some weird people out there. <laughs> just, first off, how the fuck do you catch birds? I, I've never been able to catch a bird. I'd let alone have one land on me, even at the beach. Even if it's fake, does it give you the location for yes, the fake does. one? Yes, it does. Okay, all right. So I'm going to say, oh my God, I don't know how you could possibly <laughs> do this. I'm going to say that is fake, okay. but if it was real, it would be in Wyoming. Okay. Um, it is real. And oh it, my yes. God. I don't <laughs> want to live anymore. Philadelphia. <laughs> I don't want to live anymore. The oh. man appears to toss food to a cluster of birds as the woman <laughs> leans down and grabs one and puts it into a small plastic bag, which she ties off as the bird flaps around inside. This is animal cruelty. Well, what, why? I don't know. For what reason? Uh, the ranger observed empty plastic bags and told the couple that trapping wildlife in the park is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Park Service spokeswoman, uh, spokeswoman Gina uh, Gilliam says a ranger approached the couple Tuesday over a complaint that someone was catching birds. Wow. Yep. <laughs> so that is real, and it took place in Philadelphia. Um, at let me see. Like, how do you how do you find anything that's not Independence Hall on a bench near Independence? No Hall. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Where like a bunch of tourists are freaking right, yep. walking around. Just like, yeah, sounds like a, a fitting place. It sounds to do like that. a it sounds like a Philadelphian thing to do. They're all assholes in Philadelphia. They are. I was just I was all in Philadelphia. <laughs> they boo Santa Claus. Do they really? They're they boo Santa Claus. At, they boo yeah. They booed Santa Claus um, at a parade. Uh, and then their their hockey fans just it's suck. A, it's a dirty. It's a dirty it ass is. city too. It's nasty. Uh, Philadelphia sponsored this episode today. <laughs> <laughs> I have never invited over to Philadelphia. Okay. You should do it at the end. You should be like, and this podcast was sponsored by the city of Philadelphia. (laughs) 
Kellen's parents. <laughs> All right. Cow breaks Connecticut farm worker's jaw. A worker at a dairy farm was taken to the hospital with a broken jaw after being headbutted by a cow. That is possible. I yep. would say, I'm going to say real. Say real? Yeah. And where do you think it happened? You said Connecticut. Did I? Oh, damn, I did. <laughs> One I point. Ruined my gym. <laughs> the show's over, Kellen. We're no longer having any. Is it real, though? It is real. Yeah, those things like it can happen. Yep, yep. Uh, Seth Baylor, owner of Oak Ridge Dairy Farm in Ellington, tells the Journal Inquirer the 23-year-old man suffered the injury at about 4.30 a.m. Thursday when a cow swung its head and hit the man in, it in the face. Holy shit. Ouch. I mean... Yeah, God. I found the cow's name was The Rock. Um, no. Was it? <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> the cow's name was, was The Rock. Was Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Reincarnation. Oh, wow. There's wow. a petition to drink the liquid from that black sarcophagus. What? There's a petition to drink the liquid from that black sarcophagus. What the hell's a black sarcophagus? Do you recall that um, black sarcophagus um, that was found in Egypt, found in the tomb? Okay. A black, a, a oh, black yeah. Oh. Yep. So they opened it up. So they, th did you hear about that sealed sarcophagus they opened in Egypt only to find three skeletons stewing in a putrid rust-colored soup? Yep. And they, and they wanted to drink that. So there's a petition out there. Is this real or fake? That is fake. It is real. No yes. way. A change.org no. user by the name Innis Mick created a petition in the name of this total sacrilege. And as of Saturday afternoon, it's gathered more than 8,000 signatures from petitioners who wish to sample the forbidden nectar, nectar or boner juice or yeah, whatever is what it says. We need to drink the red liquid from the cursed uh, dark sarcophagus in the form of some sort of carbonated energy drink so we can assume its powers and finally die. It is a real change.org. Even though the comments here sound pretty fake, oh. <laughs> it is real. To be clear, the liquid is ac actually sewage water that leaked in over the centuries. The Egyptian Ministry of Antiquities said this week, which is the... Why the museums were found, de or the mummies were found decomposed instead of preserved. Oh, Jesus. Yep. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, ugh. Ugh, Se no. Centuries no. old. No. Thousands of, hundreds uh, thousands. I mean, I'd, I'd drink it, but. Did you drink it? It was <laughs> That three penis wine? Oh, <laughs> so that disgusting. is. Disgusting. That's like drinking out of my septic tank. All right. Here we go. Last one. Accident-prone koala rescued for third time after getting stuck in the fence. Fake. Fake? Okay, where do you think it happened? It's a koala. Yep. Um, Florida? No. It is real. All of the, all of the stories have been real today. <laughs> and it took place in South Australia. A South Australia koala had to be saved by fauna rescue of South Australia volunteers for the third time when he was found stuck in a fence. What's this thing trying to do? Get out, obviously. <laughs> the large male adult koala, yes, that's actually what he's been referred to as, not to be confused with large adult sons, 
was rescued from the fence on Tuesday shortly after 8.30 a.m. It wasn't a great start to the day for this curious koala who got his head stuck in a fence at the Happy Valley substation. Is there a picture of it? <laughs> uh, I think so. Uh, let me find it here. Uh, no, there's no picture oh, of it. Oh, that would have been. There's no picture of That's it. That's awesome. Yep. In an unlikely twist of fate, Fauna Rescue had to care for him again in November of 2016 after he was hit by a car. <laughs> that thing has got a lot of lives. Yeah. Previously, the koala ran into trouble when he was found at the bottom of a tree in January 2016. He was not very responsive and subsequently spent a week with Fauna Rescue until he was well enough to re get released back into the wild. So this koala is just like... <laughs> He's been trying to off himself for a while. I would too if I had to be in a freaking cage. <laughs> oh my goodness. So poor koalas. Poor, poor koalas. koalas. And that was how you play Weird News. So Now I get to ask you three questions before we end. Okay, well, uh, we, we end with the guests saying their famous last words. So you can ask those three questions. Okay. And then you you have to end with your famous last words. Okay. So shoot um, away. Okay. Is Kobe Bryant better than Michael Jordan? No. Why? Why? Because Michael Jordan is the greatest. I agree. I, Michael Jordan, is, you know what? There, there are things that went on. Michael Jordan made his teammates better. Kobe Bryant did too. I will say this. If there's anybody who's closest to Michael Jordan, it is Kobe Bryant. Okay. It is Kobe Bryant. Okay. But. Uh, I think he's a cocky prick, but. Both of them. <laughs> I don't think my, Michael was, but I don't, I don't think he's bad as we, we could go on and yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, that'll Jordan. be a whole other session. Say that we could go on and on about Michael So, Michael Jordan, Jordan fair Michael enough. Jordan. Favorite comic that we brought to Wackos? Favorite comic that we brought to Wackos? Oh, my goodness. Shit, that's tough. I'm trying to think of shows that I was on, I was there. You know what? Um,. Mike Stanley and Josh Alton, those two Fair stick enough. out. I I loved working with both of them. Uh, they were they were great and, and Mike's good people in general. Good people in general, yeah. yeah. And uh, Nathan Timmel, uh, he he's a cool dude. He's yeah, a I really he's a him. great guy, um, great comic too. Uh, you, it, I think it's comics that I've worked with are are, sure. are my favorites. Okay. Um, you know, Nathan has brought me along on a couple of his gigs, which have been which have been great, um, but. I would say those three really stand out uh, the most okay. from them, um, from from our shows. They were we always had nice. Yeah, nice we had some. Coming we in. had, and that's not to say everybody else isn't behind them. No, no, we absolutely. had really good comics. It's just trying to think about the number of There's, comics that we that passed through came through. If you take, if you had the feature and the host, there was at one, there was probably fifty comics that yeah. came through that place. I can't yeah. remember all of them. Yeah, Mike Stanley and. Uh, Josh Alton, Nathan Timmel, they They're stand out. The, they stand comics. out the most. Okay. Um, you know, I, yeah, other comics that I've enjoyed performing with, um, or, or some of my favorites, uh, Pete Lee, and Pete Lee has gotten a lot of exposure from his, you know, past couple of uh, uh, appearances on the Tonight Show. Oh, sure. Fallon. So, and he's doing great. He's out in Los Angeles now. Um, Jimmy Schubert, love okay. working with Jimmy Schubert. <laughs> Jimmy, I. I don't know what it was, but Jimmy and I seemed to click that entire weekend. That was one of the most fun weekends I've ever had in my entire life. That's what it's all so, about. Um, I once did a show with uh, Dustin Diamond, Screech, and afterwards, me, uh, I can't remember who else was there, another comic, and um, a guy we 
shall not speak his name of Tiny Gene Abrahamson. We said it. Yes, yes. love that guy. Woo! Yeah. He booked the show with with Dustin Diamond, and we did the show. We did the show. So it was myself, Dustin Moore, um, who's another comic, uh, local comic. Dustin Moore. We go out with um, Dustin Diamond to Perkins to ha- to get some grub after no the shit. show. So we all went to Perkins, and we're we're ordering our food. And the waitress comes up to me and she looks at me and she goes, are you a comedian? And Dustin Diamond goes, what the fuck is this? <laughs> AC gets recognized and I was on goddamn Saved by the Bell. <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments. Is oh, that, that got, is an awesome story. I got story. over Dustin Diamond. <laughs> that is an awesome story. I've never, ever heard that. Yes, yes. What about, it wasn't fun, go, it wasn't fun going out with Carlos Mencia? Yeah, oh, God. Okay, so Carlos Mencia. <laughs> You know, for the shit that he gets, um, he was a very, very nice yeah. person. Um, I enjoyed working with both him and Francisco Duran mm-hmm. um, immensely. Uh, I went out, uh, yes, I went out with them, and uh, we went to, to Scarlet's, which is a strip club, and he bought me a couple lap dances. And one of the lap dances, I had this uh, uh, nice, thick black lady who just, who, who, just did not want to be there. You yeah. can just tell. Or she's just like this skinny white guy. I'm going to crush him. <laughs> and she was like awful. She like the entire time was like, huh, mm, uh, it's just barely talking. And, and you know, yeah, nothing. Just stood the this entire time. horrible. And then uh, I, um, and then she looked at me. She's like, well, that's it. But if you want to give me $10 more, um, we can go to the back and I'll let you diddle around, which is what her exact words were. What is diddle around? I don't know. What is that? Even? I don't know. Here's ten dollars. I want to figure out what I diddling is. I got up and I said I fold and I walked out of the room. <laughs> walked out of the room. But, oh my so, god! But that weekend with Carlos and Francisco were were um, fantastic. I can't was, believe you went to Scarlet. It was. Carlos, it, I, I, and then I went out to uh, to like late night dinner drunk dinner with them at um at the mexican restaurant here that's town. funny so did I, anybody recognize him when he went no. with you yeah it's so funny how no okay i think well, i think when we went into the mexican restaurant they're like oh one of us last question why this podcast um you know like, what, what are you trying to achieve what am i trying to achieve it, just an outlet you know it's um I still love comedy. I miss it from time to time. And this is a, a, a great opportunity for me to connect and just talk and sure. um, just have people share stories or maybe, you know, say things that, that they never thought they would say. Yeah, you know, like, true. Uh, you, you opened up quite a bit and like that wasn't the purpose of this, but that's what But happened. someone may listen to it and hear the story and go, oh man, yeah. that's... Um, so it, it's... Uh, just something different I, I don't want there to be a theme it's just i want us to talk like i, I want us to talk like friends yeah and, and absolutely. that's exactly where we are and you know most of the comics i i feel that we're, we're all connected we do a lot of the same things definitely and so when they come in and sit down or even when they're via skype or whatever we can just have a conversation and we go wherever the conversation takes us so whether it's you know like we're we're two hours into this almost <laughs> Um, or if it's 90 minutes or if it's an hour, if we, Hey, we had a good conversation. And it, if somebody listens to <coughs> it and has a lot of fun and it's like, Oh, well, it's interesting. Uh, it, I, I hope they get something out of it. Yeah. That's absolutely. the purpose. It's, it's more, 
for me personally, it's an outlet to continue the the creative juices and, and just learn from from others. So no, I love it. I love the whole the whole concept of it. it's cool. So and that's why we call it attention seeking behavior. So it's like, hey, look at me. Uh, <laughs> so you want my famous last words? So yeah. So we we end every show with uh, if you're feeling satisfied, if you're if there's yeah, something no, that no, I'm good. Say, I'm good. I guess covered everything. Slide. I got three words. The famous last words. Okay. Three no, last no. word. Three words. Famous three. last words. Okay. Dare to fail. Okay. Dare to fail. Dare to fail. Dare Live to your fail. life and dare to fail. I mean, put yourself in situations where you could fail because those are the moments where you learn the most. Absolutely, I like it. Very deep. Uh, yeah, because some people, some people run from failing. They don't want to. They don't want to put themselves yeah. in situations. No, go, go. Like even if you're looking at entertainment, go to a show in a shitty bar with 20 people. <laughs> dare to fail. Most people won't do it. You may not get paid and you may bomb royally, but if you don't. Oh, even if you do, you learn something from it. It's going to make you better as, as a performer. So, dare like to fail. It. Dare to fail. Very cool. And that was Kellen Marson. That's Kellen Marson. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.